Phantomaniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Phantom Troublemaker, and boy, oh boy, should you guys be excited about the new episode. 1987 is our topic today. We have reassembled the cast from last year's top-selling 1986 episode, Chris DePetrillo, Beth V, and Rad Ranger have all returned to discuss 1987 and our favorite and not-so-favorite pop culture happenings. It was a year of Boglins and Battle Beasts, a year of Max Headroom and Mega Man, but we don't discuss any of that on the show because I'm not giving away our picks in the intro. That would be silly. No, no, all I'm going to do in this intro is tell you this. I was going to discuss Glow, my similarities with Stone Cold Steve Austin, Douchebags, and Dragon Con in this intro. But this episode is already pushing over two hours, so all of that stuff is going to be included in episode 20 of the Needless Things Patron Cast, which is available right now at supportphantom.com. For five bucks and up, you will have exclusive access to a more than monthly podcast that is all the behind the scenes stuff, all the life stuff. Uh, it's it's lessons. It's me sharing my life experiences in order to try and make you all better people and make the world a better place, which is why I'm charging money for it. Maybe that doesn't make sense. But anyway, go visit supportphantom.com. There are 20 exclusive episodes of the patron cast over there. Find out which donation amount you're comfortable with. There are different lists of perks. There are advertising opportunities that... You know, nobody's really taken advantage of yet. Uh, all, all kinds of cool stuff over there uh, just to support, uh, help me pay for the hosting and everything for the Needless Things podcast, uh, for travel, for cons and stuff, and just NeedlessThingsSite.com in general. So go check that out. And speaking of NeedlessThingsSite.com, if you would be interested in owning any of the movies or video games, or television shows, or any of the pop culture stuff that we talk about today, which, believe me, after we're done putting this stuff over, these golden gems from the past, you are for sure going to want to race over to Amazon.com and order each and every single one of them, because our boundless enthusiasm for these relics of 30 years past is going to be infectious, and you're going to say, I have to have those things, but... Don't go to Amazon.com. Go to NeedlessThingsSite.com and click on the big Amazon box in the top right corner because that will take you to Amazon. It won't cost you anything extra to buy through there, but Needless Things and your old pal Phantom Troublemaker get a little kickback for each and every purchase that you make. It's the best way to help out Needless Things. Well, it's the easiest way. The best way is to go to supportphantom.com. The easiest way is to just go to Needless Things and use that as your Amazon portal and uh, help us out. 
All right, you guys, that's all I've got. Aside from my enthusiasm for this week's episode, uh, I, I, I love these. I really love these, and I wish I could figure out a way. Maybe I need to split them up. Maybe I need to do 1987 uh, movies, 1987 cartoons, 1987 toys, and we'll just do a bunch of different episodes. Although, if you visit NeedlessThingsSite.com, you'll see that I'm doing that with posts uh, as we go along. This past Wednesday, I posted about the movies of 1987, which ended up being a much longer post than I expected because a shit ton of incredible movies came out in 1987. Or Okay, a, a lot of incredible movies, a shit ton of noteworthy movies, and there is a difference. And if you want to know what that difference is, go to NeedlessThingsSite.com and check out uh, Wednesday, June 27th, the post, or I'm sorry, uh, June 28th. Man, we're almost out of June. And uh, go check it out. Anyway, uh, that's all I've got. Enjoy this music now from the Mystery Men, all of whom were alive in 1987, but uh, none of whom were Mystery Men in 1987. Except I guess they were, because at at that time, nobody knew uh, who they were. They were just a bunch of kids my age. They were the Mystery Children. The Mystery Children. Uh, please visit mysterymenofsurf.com and check out these guys' music. They've got a new album coming out soon, uh, and uh, I-, I can't wait to hear it. And I'm sure you guys are in the same boat, the mystery boat. <laughs> is 1987 and it is once again time to join the needless things podcast for a look at the year as it was 30 years ago i just said year like five times that was awesome way to go phantom (laughs) all right so last last year right around the same time uh we got a few folks together and we discussed 1986 and some of our favorite stuff and some of our not so favorite stuff if you haven't listened to that episode i think it's episode 111 so go back and check it out cuz it's great and i have brought the exact same people back 1 year later to discuss 1987 so please welcome back to the needless things podcast first of all uh, our pal and our constant Mr. Sean Reed, the Red Ranger. Hello, how are you? The the constant. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna change my name. That'll be my wrestling persona. <laughs> the constant. I like that. <laughs> the constant. Hailing from parts unknown. The constant. <laughs> I'm not giving my my weight. It's embarrassing. And uh, also joining us this evening, uh, someone who at this point may as well be my co-host for for our better pop culture episodes. Welcome back, Beth. Why, thank you. And I don't know if I'm on on the better ones necessarily, but I'm, I just happen to always be here. <laughs> well, that works I think out. the other option is, is me or Ryan, so I, I definitely think that, <laughs> that you guys, you guys, You guys have your own ongoing, frequently posted podcast, so I can't very well cull either one of you. 
And uh, finally, Ouch. making his grand return to the show, uh, our pal Chris DiPetrillo from Figures. Okay, when I say Figures, Figures Toy Company or Figures Inc.? In my head, I always think Figures Inc. Well, Figures Inc. was the original name years ago, but as we evolved into an actual toy-making, toy-producing company, we became Figures Toy Company. So either is correct. You know, you could go with the nostalgia of Figures Inc. or Figures Toy Company. Either works. It's it's weird to think of because, like, at the same time, it's a new company and an old company just because, like, you know, you guys haven't been around as long as Hasbro or Mattel. So in my head, you're still new, and yet I've been a fan for 20 years now. Is that right? <laughs> Something oh yeah, like I mean that. even even longer than that. When with the Figures Inc. mail order catalog, you're talking late '80s, early '90s. Oh my gosh, see that because I've been there since 1999. I got hired on my 19th birthday, so I'm I'm approaching 20 years. Oh wow, that's awesome. Yeah, that was the the Legends of as we've talked about before because because you've been on a couple episodes. Uh, that Legends of Professional Wrestling line is what brought you guys to my attention. Yep, and it's it. going strong. We just got uh, we just got some of the new uh, indie guys and uh, Ring of Honor figures in right now. Uh, the Delirious figure has been getting a lot of love from the collectors. It's been called the top ten figure of the year already. Uh, dude, so. it looks incredible. Well, and and I was so happy to see that name, that Legends of Professional Wrestling name, revitalized because I've got the old Abdullah and King Kong Bundy and and you know the old like sort of more static figures, and now you guys like that Delirious with the fabric. Uh, the full fabric outfit, the crazy mask. I mean, he looks incredible. Yeah, we talked about that. I think it was the first time that we talked. We talked about the soft goods on, you know, the Mego style figures and everything. And just the translation of those to the wrestling figures, you know, the, the different variety of figure that they are. I mean, some of those figures just look insanely, insanely good. The Delirious, uh, the Kenny Omega with the trench coat, the Joey Ryan with the members only jacket. It's, it's a really good mishmash of the two lines that we're doing. And they really do complement each other. Well, and the Michael Elgin that comes with the ring is one of my favorites. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was a great figure, too. Having the actual single as opposed to a paint job really makes that figure stand out. So before we get any further, real quick, before we start talking about much, much older toys, where can we find out more about Figures Toy Company? So main website is uh, figurestoycompany.com. We also own and operate wrestlingsuperstore.com, which obviously focused mainly on your wrestling needs. And uh, since we last talked, in addition to my career at Figures Toy Company, um, also social media, Figures Toy Company and Wrestling Superstore, uh, go by the company name on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, on Twitter, it's at Figures Toy Co. It's at W-R-E-S underscore Superstore for Wrestling Superstore. Uh, my personal Twitter, at Zach Malibu, Z-A-C-K-M-A-L-I-B-U. Uh, but I've also become a, uh, a pretty... Pretty busy movie reviewer, uh, mostly of the B genre, uh, dealing with action and karate and high impact explosive movies. Get out of town! Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and as a matter of fact, my debut column uh, late last year focused on a movie we talked about on the '86 podcast, The Wraith. So uh, the site is bulletproofaction.com. So the site actually focuses mainly on that genre. But I have covered uh, quite a few. Uh, likes and uh, actually I've had four columns so far so in flowing with the format that we usually go with I've had three movies that I love and one that I despise as columns <laughs> so far Perfect. so you can you can check those out there but uh, yeah been been keeping pretty busy so please look me up find me follow me and check out what we've got at Figure Story Company and just to follow up on last year I have watched The Wraith since then and I think it is awesome you are absolutely right 
It is such. It was on maybe like five days ago. It was on like this past week. It's been on the Showtime channel for like the last year. Well, it's weird. Uh, it's it's uh, it's been on because I watched it on. Uh, I think it was on demand or something. But I have noticed since then that it's on. Honestly, I think the movie got the needless things bump. I think. Hey, we, you know what? I, I would completely respect Showtime if that's the reason why they keep airing it. I, I think although right I, back. I think that some movies, like Showtime, I love Showtime, especially original series, uh, but I think that uh, certain movies go to cable hell on Showtime uh, because they focus so much on the series. There's a movie called Survival Island with Billy Zane that I think has been on at least twice a week since 2008. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's in Billy Zane's contract, though. He's liking the royalties for that. He's like, I'll take it. They're like, all right, Billy, we can hear Survival Island or we can hear The Phantom. And he's like, oh, Survival Island has nudity. Take that one. <laughs> yeah, I'll take nudity over slamming evil any day. All right. <laughs> well, you know, in a way. Let's uh, let's go back now to 1987. Uh, the, the format for this episode, for those of you that have not heard last year's, is we have each brought three items to the table from 1987, whether it be movies, toys, television shows, cartoons, whatever. I don't know. It's anything that's from 1987. We have three items we love, one item we don't. Uh, We're going to close the show out with the thing we're not crazy about, and we're going to start with the things that we love, and I'm going to take my specially designed four-sided die and roll it and uh, arbitrarily determine that, Beth, you are opening this thing up. Oh, God, so much pressure. (laughs) It better be good. Then I'm going to start with the best one, and I'm going to pick the first time The Simpsons ever appeared on TV. Ooh. Oh, that's right. Tell us more. On the Tracy Ullman show, which was not a great show. Um, It it was all right sometimes. It's debatable. Yeah. It's iffy. Um, And... Even when it first aired, The Simpsons wasn't fantastic. But over the course of several years, the animation evolved, the humor evolved, and it became probably one of the best shows of all time, if not the best show. And honestly, uh, Terry and I speak in Simpsons quotes. We probably wouldn't be able to talk to each other without a Simpsons quote in there somewhere. So it's kind of become a part of my life. Well, even so on I the- think... Even on the internet now, the, the Simpsons gift generator or meme generator or whatever it is, uh, people have entire conversations in that. Oh, people people call Jesus Jeebus all the time, and that came from the Simpsons, and people who don't even know the Simpsons know Jeebus. <laughs> I didn't realize that came from the Simpsons. What's the context It there? sure did. What is the context See? there? I don't remember. Um he was being he was escaping from PBS Homer was escaping from PBS because he donated ten thousand dollars to get them to shut up, but he didn't have ten thousand dollars. So he was on the run from PBS and the Reverend put him on a plane to go be a missionary and he said, But I don't even believe in Jeebus. <laughs> <laughs> oh Homer, you moron. <laughs> yeah. So all right, so they appeared as shorts on the Tracy Ullman show. Uh, do you do you remember like seeing them for the first time? Like, do you remember the that crude animation and and just were you blown oh, away it, by it, or did it take a minute? Um, well, my parents really liked the Tracy Ullman show, and being thirteen, I, I maybe didn't get all of the humor, but I'll pretty much give anything a chance if it's a cartoon. And I remember going, eh, "This is okay. This isn't bad." And they were they were fun little interstitials and. 
perhaps it was more enjoyable to watch them given the fact that there were parts of the Tracy Ullman show that were tough to watch. So it was like, oh, good, cartoons. Maybe everybody else will shut up for a few minutes and I can just watch a cartoon. I I remember liking uh, parts of the Tracy Ullman show. I you know I was let's see eighty seven. I would have been eleven years old in eighty seven. So a lot of that probably went over my head. I'm sure some of the more broad the, some of the broader stuff she did I might have laughed at. But I seem to remember that the Simpsons overshadowed the rest of the show pretty quickly and and almost was like a, a an overnight success like. People weren't talking about the Tracy Ullman show. They were talking about those crazy cartoons. Is that pretty much what you guys remember? Yeah, that's that's kind of exactly how I remember it. It was it was the time when Fox was brand new, and um, and they would just kind of it was a weird channel that would air just about anything. And yeah, that that weird cartoon with the kind of not very good animation, um, but that was uh, a complete update of the Honeymooners that looked a lot more like my parents. Um, I remember that I was like, oh, this is this is really cool. And then once it took over the world, it was like, oh, well, that completely makes sense. It was the best part of that show. It, it was almost like they had to extract it from Tracy Ullman and uh, to keep it moving. Like I remember, it was it almost seemed odd when it got its own uh, half hour as a separate. Yeah, thing. I agree. What about you, Chris? Is that pretty much how you remember it, or or are you, were you even infatuated with The Simpsons at all? Uh, no, I was infatuated with The Simpsons. One, you know, obviously, once they broke out on their own and got to Fox, you know, I was nine years old, ten years old during that era. So, you know, it blew up around me. So, of course, you know, do the Bartman and, and all that stuff happened. But as far as the Tracy Ullman stuff, I remember seeing it mainly when it was in syndication. I think like it was uh, Lifetime used to have it on in the afternoons because uh, here's a throwback for you. When I used to watch Supermarket Sweep oh, and stuff like man. that during the summer. And uh, – I Tracy Ullman was on at like one o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon, and like you said, like you know, and you're, you're even a few years older than me. You know, I didn't get the humor, I didn't understand. It. I just knew that she was this wacky lady doing wacky things, and it's like, all right, well, oh, a cartoon, and boom, you know, like I was kind of like sucked in because it's animation, and that's what I was all about at the time. Uh, so I didn't really get into The Simpsons until two years later when they actually blew up on Fox. But I do remember seeing them on Tracy Ullman and getting kind of enamored with them at that point. So by the time they were on Fox, I was familiar with the concept. Yeah, the, it was. Uh, th- this was a. Oh, look, nice little chime sound. I'll have to edit out. Thirteen oh five. I didn't hear it. I'm glad. Yeah, I, oh, did you not? No. no. Well, no, then you I'll have to. Up your own podcast. Then I'll have to edit out me talking about the <laughs> chime sound. Um, uh, Beth, anything else about the Simpsons? Honestly, no. I, I think I think I kind of said it all. It's you know maybe it's not as funny as it used to be, but. It's still pretty much the funniest thing on TV. So even when it's not good, it's still great. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a hell of a television legacy there, and, and it's amazing that something that's animated is. I mean, it's going to end up up there with with Doctor Who, as far as longevity goes. I mean, it's it's crazy. And all we all know that's had its down points too. Oh uh, yeah, it sure has. <laughs> Let's not talk about the current <laughs> season. Uh, Chris, what do you got? All right, I am going to get the elephant in the room out of the way right now because this is – I know it's not going to be duplicated, but I also don't want to let it linger because I feel that this might generate a little bit of controversy and a little (laughs) bit of discussion. But not only is this my top like for 1987, this was uh, my holy grail, which I can go into uh, a a bigger um, 
discussion about, but I am going to nominate the Garbage Pail Kids movie as <laughs> my favorite <laughs> item of 1987. Oh, no. Wow. <laughs> Your favorite? Now, it is your favorite. Are you sure? It is not only my favorite from 1987. You know, I'll, I'll, I will give you the backstory. As a kid growing up, collected the cards. You know, had complete sets. You know, there was a, a little mini mart down the street from uh, my aunt's house, and my grandmother would walk there, and she would buy like the whole case, and we'd sit and just open the packs and put them in black binders, and everyone was in order. So. I used to get – here's another throwback reference. We're going all throwbacks tonight. The Masters of the Universe magazine, I used to get that all the time. They had, they had a magazine in like 1986-87, and I'm skimming through it one day, and there's a full-page ad for an upcoming movie with a garbage can with some green slime snot stuff coming out of the top of it. And I'm like, oh, they're making a movie. This is the greatest day ever. And my cousin's like, yeah, we'll go see it. I'll take you to see it. And, you know, the movie came and went in the theater. And, you know, I'm six, seven years old. I'm not thinking anything of it. I'm thinking that movies stay in theaters forever. And then it shows up on TV. And I'm like, I need to tape this one day. I, I need to own this movie. I need to finally see it. And I will never forget the day. In fact, I'm pretty sure that the actual tape is still at my parents' house somewhere in a box in the basement. But my cousin was recording Revenge of the Nerds 2. And after Revenge of the Nerds 2, the Garbage Pail Kids movie was coming on. And he said, don't worry about it. It's a six-hour tape. I'm going to let it record. You'll have both movies on the same tape. You'll be good. You come back next week. It'll be here for you. You're all set. I'm like, all right, this is awesome. I'm going to own this movie. I can watch it whenever I want to. And I get back to the house that day, and there's the tape on top of the television, and it's at the beginning. So I'm fast-forwarding through Louis Skolnick, and I'm like, where's the Garbage Pail Kids? And... Nothing, because one of my other cousins shut the tape off. Oh. So, fast forward a couple of weeks later, I wake up on a Saturday morning, I'm grabbing my breakfast, I'm flipping through the channels, and what movie started 15 minutes earlier? The Garbage Pail Kids. So I finally get to see it, but now I've missed it. So now, I'm growing up, waiting for it to come back on TV, and it never does. And with, then with I'm good reason. With I, I see, I know we're going to get to that. I know we're going to get to that. <laughs> but I went through. This is how I learned the the concept of things going out of print because we're you know fast forward to like nineteen ninety one ninety two. I haven't seen it on television anywhere, not even commercial television. I haven't seen it in any stores. Haven't seen it at a yard sale or a flea market. And uh, I went into it. You know, none of the local video stores had it to rent. Nobody had it. And there was a, a big like Fye style. It was a Suncoast Video. Uh, was uh, was the place, and they opened one up. It was a huge store, and I'm like running amok, like looking for it. And the guy probably thought I was a 12 year old kid, just you know, hyped up on goofballs or something. He's like, "Can I help you? What are you looking for?" And I'm like, "Do you have the Garbage Pail Kids movie?" And he looked at me, much like how you guys are thinking of me right now. <laughs> and he pulls out the uh, the big phone book style manual, and he's like, uh, "Let me check." He's like, "Oh, that movie's OOP." I'm like. What? What does, what does that mean? It's like, oh, it's out of print. That means you're never going to find it in a video store like this. You've got to find someone who has a copy to get it from. They're not making it anymore. And I'm like, how dare they not make this movie? What? What? <laughs> what is this sacrilege that you speak of? And uh, I actually did not find a copy until six years later. It was actually the same day that Bride of Chucky came out in theaters. Oh, my gosh. That I found a local video store who had it, and I put my two VCRs together and bootlegged a copy of it. So that I had it, um, 
and then you know eventually as the DVDs came out and you know the Blu-ray, I, I own it in every format except Laserdisc, um, because uh, a friend of mine owns a comic book shop. And a couple of years ago, I went to pick up my comics for the week, and uh, you know they buy you know used movies and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know who sold him a box of DVDs and VHS tapes, but somehow, some way, this person had a mint copy, like not even a ding on the case of the movie on VHS. Oh, so my nice. buddy actually gave it to me as like a, a goof. He's like, hey, you always wanted it on VHS. Here you go. So I actually have it on VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray. Um, but I mean, as far as you know, as far as that drawn-out story, you probably just lost listeners on that one. Um, no, the, no, because reason- we, we can all relate to that because we have all had some kind of like nerdy grail, whether it's a movie or a toy or what, like we've all we've all been there. Yeah, we, I mean that's I, you know that was just you know mine just happens to be the worst movie of all time. So, <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, I will, I will, I will defend it. I'm not saying that it's the second coming of The Godfather. I'm not going to tell you, you know, I'm not going to lie to you and say, oh, it's a fantastic movie and the technical details are great. And no, I mean, it is shoddily put together. I mean, the, the, from the costumes to the script, I mean, it really is just a mishmash of stuff. But if you approach it the way I always did with looking at it like through little kids' eyes and kind of looking at it like a live action cartoon, you appreciate it more like, you know, you're not looking for it to make sense as a movie. You're just kind of looking for the slapstick parts or the gross out humor. Like you're, you're looking for the, you know, the, the highlights that you would look for in like a Looney Tunes cartoon or something like that. You're just looking for someone to get thrown up on, or, you know, you're, you're looking for, you know, maybe you're not looking for that. And if you are, then, <laughs> Hey, there are certain websites that appeal to you, but um, you know, that that's how I approach it. And you know, my wife despises it. She she absolutely hates the movie. Um, when we first started dating, we we had like a bad movie night, and I put it on, and she fell asleep during it. And the next day, she said, "I fell asleep during that movie, and I never need to see it again." So like, I'm like, you don't want to know how it ended? She's like, I don't care how it ended. I, please don't ever make me watch it. But as long as, long as it ended, it will, now we've got. You know, I still call him the baby, but he he's two, and uh, so uh, little Malibu is very much enamored with it and it's to the point where he knows like the sing-along portion and we'll run around the house going la 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 uh, and he calls them the babies instead of the kids because one of them is the baby foul phil right um so he'll be like you know he's like i want to watch the babies but and then he'll run around and windy winston's in it so he'll go windy and make a fart noise like so he's kind of like all in on it and my wife just looks at me like, I hate you. I'm sure, yeah, I'm I, I sure she's you. thrilled with that. <laughs> and, uh, and, and funnily enough, just in time for this podcast, it actually wound up on television for the first time in almost 30 years last month. Oh, wow. That's, it was on, uh, it was on Comet TV, which is, uh, you know, like a me TV, one of those like retro digital channels. It's actually right, owned right. by the corporation that owns Ring of Honor. But, uh, yeah, it was on all month. So not only do I have it in every format, but I made sure to DVR it just to really torture everybody in the house. <laughs> I uh, I actually have a history with that movie as well. Uh, for for the listeners, I, I mean, I'm sure you guys know what Garbage Pail Kids are. They were collectible cards uh, that came out in the 80s that were a spoof of Cabbage Patch Kids, and they featured characters that looked like Cabbage Patch Kids, but they were mutilated or mutants or some kind of horrific uh, depiction. Deformity. Uh, right, right. And it's funny, as we talk, I actually have a binder full of them and a stack of them yet to be filed sitting on my desk uh, because the, the they still make them. They're still around. Yep. Uh, but when I was a kid, 
they were part of the whole gross out toys, mad balls and boglins and garbage pail kids and, and my pet monster and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, everyone I knew was collecting garbage pail kids, including me. My mom hated them, but you know, she was, uh, she was definitely an enabler for a lot of uh, my habits when I was younger. And I actually saw this movie in the theater with my mom. Oh, and see, now I'm jealous right now. <laughs> she, I don't even know if it was 20 minutes in, uh, because I have two significant movies, because she took me to see all the movies uh, when I was a kid. But the two, two of the experiences that stand out in my head is Transformers the movie, where she fell asleep about 20 minutes in, which I was thankful for, <laughs> because she didn't get to hear Spike say shit. And Garbage Pail Kids, the movie, which about 20 minutes or so in, she turned to me and said, can we please leave? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we did not leave. Uh, Of course, I had to stay and see the whole movie. And it I'll be honest, it I never said this when I was a kid, because how uncool would it be to admit this to the other kids? That movie upset me greatly. The... The characters are horrifying to look at. Like, yeah, I mean, they really are. Uh, I mean, it's a nightmare. It's almost, it's almost as disturbing and off-putting as Peter Jackson's Meet the Feebles. If you're familiar with oh. that. Oh yeah. I mean, it's yeah. not. I mean, it's not as filthy, yeah. obviously. But as far as just sort of turning your stomach, it, it's the kid version of Meet the Feebles. It, it is. It's yeah. tough, and I've seen it once. Since that theater experience, and I guess it's time to revisit it again. Much like the Wraith, I'm going to have to follow up this podcast with with a, a viewing of your movie. Well, just think your your mom, uh, you know, and the parents across America are the reason why it became out of print. Not only that, I, you know, and I know that you know you and I have had talks about collectibles and stuff before, not only on the podcast but when we've talked off air and stuff. Did you know that there was supposed to be a CBS cartoon? On Saturday mornings after Pee Wee's Playhouse, but due to the movie flopping because of the parents council, the PTC or whatever it is, yeah, yeah, parents told so much. Council. They actually had actually aired ads and wound up pulling the cartoon the week that it was set to air and replaced it with a rerun of either Pee Wee or Muppet Babies. Oh. And the cartoon only aired overseas. Now the reason that I found this out is because around like two thousand one, two thousand two, my buddy was like scrolling through ebay and ebay was fairly new at the time you know a couple years old sure and he was trying to find uh, a decent copy of it on vhs and at this point old rental copies were going for like 90 bucks 100 bucks because it was just out of print and he came across not even a dvd it was a a video cd that somebody burned on like their pc or something and it was the garbage pail kids movie and it said two episodes of the cartoon and i'm like what cartoon cartoon. talking about what what and, you know, I go over to my old friend. I think it was, it was either, it might not have even been IMDb. It might have been real.com at the time. But I was, I looked up movie information somewhere and found out the whole story about how this cartoon only aired in like Brazil and Spain or something like that. And it never aired in the U.S. And I'm like, I need to buy this CD. And that CD wound up going for like 500 bucks. Whoa. Like I, like I was watching it. Like, so someone out there loves them even more than I do. Um, but they actually, <laughs> When they finally released the movie on DVD about six months later, um, Paramount or whoever has the rights released the entire collection of the cartoon on DVD as well. And I think it's still in print, so you can probably get it fairly cheap on Amazon or eBay now. Um, but yeah, there was actually a, a weekly cartoon series 
featuring uh, different Garbage Pail Kids than the ones in the movies. And they would do like uh, it was kind of like that Saturday morning format. They do the parodies of like the movies of the time and stuff like that. Right, right. Um, what wasn't great, you know, wasn't what I would want from a Garbage Pail Kids cartoon. Uh, I don't know what anybody would expect from a Garbage Pail Kids cartoon, <laughs> right. but uh, I, uh, I I do have that on the DVD shelf, sitting next to the movie. Oh wow, yeah. I I if I knew that, it it fell out of my brain long long ago. Let me ask you this: Do you? Because this is something that I feel like I remember very clearly seeing actual Garbage Pail Kids dolls at one point. Nobody else remembers these. I've never seen any evidence of them, but I, I feel so strongly that we were in like a Sears and I saw... Uh, and I can't remember what character it is right now. It's it was like one of the one of the tamer ones, like a rock and roll guy or a guy with a mohawk or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. But um, I see those. I don't remember. Like like you're you're thinking like almost like like Cabbage Patchy or Wrestling Buddy yeah, style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I don't recall. I know they had like little like Chosky kind of toys. I think they called them like trash toys or, or something like that. Um, but it was like little. Like like mini mart or like a CVS style right, toy, right, right, two bucks, three bucks, um, which they kind of do now because they did those minikins a couple of years ago, and now they're doing like the vinyl figures. Yeah, now uh, Funko's got the whole the yeah the mini mystery yeah mystery minis. That's it. We've got a whole shelf of those things. Yep. Yeah, I've I've got a couple of the uh, not the mystery minis. I've got a couple of the uh, the the almost like the pencil topper type ones they did about like three four years ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've got a bunch of those, and I have the giant-sized uh, Atom Bomb Funko. Um, but I haven't dipped into the mystery minis yet, but uh, the baby actually has seen them, and he loves Alligator because of the movie, which is of funny course, because Alligator is probably the most horrifying character in the movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he's like, I want it, and I'm like, okay. And, you know, my wife's like, don't dare buy him a garbage pail. <laughs> <laughs> and just for that reason, I will probably get him the whole set eventually. <laughs> So Beth and Sean. Do you, now Beth, were you were Garbage Pail Kids a thing for you at all? I did actually have quite a few Garbage Pail Kids cards, and I think it was mostly for the to piss off my parents kind of factor because sure. they weren't endearing or or oh gee I really love these. It was just God that's really gross, uh, and my parents hate it. So screw it. I, I didn't really get into them, I don't think, the way – definitely not the way you did. And, <laughs> <laughs> clearly not getting into the movie the way that anyone else did, but uh, I will never shit on someone for their love of a crappy movie. <laughs> uh, right, Troll. right. We're all, we're, we're all friends here. We, <laughs> we understand. Sean, what about you? Uh, I was a Garbage Pail Kids fan like most kids. Uh, anything that would gross out my parents was always good with me. I also um, – I, the years when they came out, I had just left uh, Catholic school and went to public school, and so it felt extra rebellious. Um, I don't – the movie came out, and I missed it. And uh, and then when I saw it later, I was like, oh, I'm, I don't need to go back and revisit that. I don't know that I missed a lot in, uh, in missing that. But, um, but yeah, that was – Basically, other than just kind of freaking out my parents and enjoying my newfound freedom of going to a school that didn't require uniforms. That was uh, my primary experience with the Garbage Pail Kids. Well, Chris, if you're ever in Atlanta, uh, we will do a commentary on the Garbage Pail Kids movie for sure. 
Oh, dude, I am, I am all in on that one. We actually uh, we, we watched the commentary on the Blu-ray and uh, because I put the Blu-ray on for the baby. And you actually have like um, little factoids from Mackenzie Aston and some of the uh, some of the wee people that acted as uh, the garbage pail kids. And oh, my fantastic. wife's like, my wife's like, did they really take this seriously? Like the guy that played Alligator was talking like he just performed Hamlet in front of a sold out crowd. <laughs> like it is it is just a fantastic fantastic thing and uh, you know i've i obviously you know we've got so much to talk about tonight so i don't want to keep you know going on and on about the garbage pail kids but it really is just something that if i didn't see it as a kid i do wonder if i'd appreciate it more but just you know it was just the time and place and it was just something that stuck with me so you know the nostalgia factor is there but it, you know as crappy as the movie as it is it never waned it's, it's still my sentimental favorite that's awesome i love that that's i mean that's that's why we're here nostalgia all right, Sean, what is your first pick? My first pick. So most of mine in 1987 that I remember are all going to be music-related. And uh, I went back and forth on whether I was going to try to keep Cool Guy cred or not. And I finally said, wait, whoa, 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 cool. whoa. Keep wait, you cool have cool cred? cred? What? I hate all of you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so... Yeah, I don't have Cool Guy cred, so I'm just going to say that uh, in 1987, um, I did my best to get my parents to buy me the cassette. They uh, I, they never did for some reason. I don't know why. Um, so instead, I would just say glued to the television because that was the year that George Michael's Faith came out. Yes! <laughs> I, I'm with you on the George Michael love. He's one of right? my favorites. I'm with you. He, he came out, and I was like, wait, this is the guy from Wham!, this is amazing. And I had the fake ear, like I had a fake piercing that looked like his. It was like the hoop with the cross dangling off of it. And if I could have grown a five o'clock shadow at 12 years old, I totally would have. Oh my gosh, dude. Uh, you, and there are pictures of you from just a few years later where you almost have a George Michael look going on. Oh, absolutely. I was totally ripping that guy off. I was like, I need a leather jacket. I need boots. I like I had the Beth can attest. She saw me during that time. Um, <laughs> he totally had the hair. He had yeah. the hair down. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, I like he something about when he came out, his style. I was like, it was this weird. It was different. It was relatively rebellious, but not in the same way that like heavy metal and all the other music that I was into was rebellious. Um, it was a much more accessible rebellion. Um, and for 12 year old me, I was like, that's perfect. Like, it was like, this is amazing. And I will get so many girlfriends if I can be like George Michael and I would do the dance <laughs> and pretend to play guitar. That's not how the- that worked <laughs> out. <laughs> not how that worked out at all. You know what didn't get you late in high school? Being a George Michael fan. I, I gotta say, uh, man, I'm, uh, you're, this, this is adding to your cool guy points. I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, George Michael was cool back then and i want your sex was almost one of my picks well because and that may be why my parents didn't get me the uh the album because i remember when that came out it was a big controversy on mtv and they would only air it after certain times and i remember like sneaking to watch the television so i could see it after hours if my parents went out and i had a babysitter i would just watch mtv because it's like oh there's gonna be this sexy video and it's so tantalizing and oh there's gonna be sexy women on the television and it's gonna be on mtv and i'm not gonna have to watch through the squiggles and uh 
um, yeah, that was a that was huge back then. I was like, oh, it was just a weird coming of age sort of time. And yeah, like George Michael was my pinnacle of cool in 1987. If I could have just modeled it, that album was huge for me as a as a 12 year old. Yeah, I, that was I a think, great album though. That's I think for for most uh, most dudes thought he was like the coolest thing, even if we didn't all admit it, like in public. And uh, most ladies, I mean, I, I would imagine the because wait, Faith is the one with the jukebox and the butt movement, right? Yeah, yeah. Beth, the ladies like that, right? Oh yeah, he totally had a sweet ass, and that was right? not the first gay dude. That was not the first gay man I had a crush on in my life as a young man. <laughs> or or the last. Or the last. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm totally down with you on George Michael. Like I, I was actually going to uh, mention, I want your sex. Only because it was such a hideously uncomfortable pop music moment in time. And if you remember, uh, there was like a radio edit that was I Want Your Love that played for a while before they finally just gave up and started playing the regular version. Oh, you're right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they yeah. had that, the radio safe one that was so sanitary and boring compared to the original. So yeah, Faith, George, Michael, big thumbs up here. Beth and Chris, what about you guys? That's, I mean, we all love George Michael, right? I, I'm actually a pretty big George Michael fan. Careless Whisper is one of my favorite songs of all time. Uh, it was the first slow song that I ever admitted liking because you know when you're a four or five year old kid, you're not listening to love songs. You're listening to you know regular you know pop crap. Um, but that, that song always stuck with me. So, I mean, that predates faith and then predates the era that we're talking about, but that's what got me hooked on him. And then as I grew up, I appreciated him as an artist more once I got more into music and more into the meaning behind songs and lyrics and everything. Um, you know, faith was a great album, uh, definitely something that I listened to. I wouldn't say as regularly as the careless whisper wham era, but they're definitely in the rotation. A couple of songs on the iPod, a couple of songs on the uh, YouTube playlist, a couple of songs on Spotify. So he's a, he's a pretty consistent uh, consistent sound in my life. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Beth, what about you? I, I've never actually owned a George Michael album. Don't get me wrong. I own a lot of Wham, and I am a George Michael fan. Will always be. But I I just it was one of those things that was on the radio or on MTV so much. I didn't feel like I needed to buy it because I could just hear it. Anytime I wanted to. Yeah. And it was great. And I'll still listen to a George Michael song on the radio. Well, not that I listen to the radio anymore. But if I hear a George Michael song, I will enjoy it. But it wasn't one of those things where I'm like, oh, I have to go out and buy the shit out of that. Yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at. I, I, I didn't ever have any of the albums, but he was so omnipresent that it was just like, well, you're you're going to hear him at some point. You're going to hear him a lot. And you're going to like it, damn it. That's right. <laughs> Otherwise... You're screwed. All right. I'm trying to decide what my number one pick is. Uh, we've had a movie, we've had a television show, and we've had music. Uh, and I have all of those things in my picks. But since I'm kind of the, like, needless things got started based around toys. So I'm going to pick uh, a toy. My first pick is going to be a toy from 1987. Now, you might think I'm going to talk about Boglins or Centurions, but I've talked about those things plenty. What I'm going to pick is 1987's offerings of Happy Meal toys. Ooh. Because, oh, was it? Uh, were they doing? Go ahead. I'm cutting you off. Sorry. Oh, no, no. It's okay because I can tell right now all of your brains are sparking with like, 
holy shit, there were some awesome Happy Meal toys. Which year was that? Let me just tell you, my friends, 1987, McDonald's and their Happy Meals offered the first series of changeables, Muppet Babies, Berenstain Bears, Bigfoot, Boats and Floats, and don't worry, I'm going to explain all of these to you if you don't know what I'm talking about. Castle Makers, Fraggle Rock, Halloween Pails for the first time, Real Ghostbusters, and Runaway Robots. So, like, this was a banner year. Even though I was 11 years old, Happy Meal toys were still, like, back then they were still toys. And the changeables were basically knockoff Transformers, but they were shaped like freaking McDonald's food. There was a big breakfast, there was french fries, there was a chicken McNuggets, and this is back when they were still doing the styrofoam containers, so, like... It would be a big yellow styrofoam container looking thing of chicken McNuggets that transformed into a robot. This, I mean, these are some of the coolest pop culture toys of all times because they're ripping off Transformers, which at the time uh, was still one of the biggest franchises in the world, and, and I guess today is considering that this past Wednesday the newest movie came out. Uh, so you have food items that change into robots. Awesome. The Muppet Babies toys, Muppet Babies was super hot at the time, and they consisted of a little Muppet Babies PVC figure, very well sculpted, great paint jobs, and each one of them had a little vehicle. Kermit had a skateboard, uh, I think Rolf had a tricycle, Miss Piggy had some kind of little car or something. So this, this was a two-piece toy, and yeah, they, they weren't mobile, like they didn't, they weren't articulated or anything, but they were great looking little toys. The Berenstain Bears, uh, which were skewed a little young for how I was at the time, but they were flocked. Uh, they were little flocked rubber figures that looked great, and I had grown up with those books. Now, depending on which dimension you're from, it's either the Berenstain Bears or the Bernstein Bears. I'll let you guys hash that out. I don't know if you're familiar with that whole conspiracy theory or not. <laughs> it's a Mandela effect. Yes, exactly. Thank you. I, I I totally blanked on what it was called. And and if you go back and listen to an old episode of uh, Ryan and Derek's Horror Hour, uh, it's it's on there. They discuss it, and it's great. Uh, Bigfoot, which the Bigfoot monster truck in the eighties was almost as big a celebrity as like Mister T, and there was a whole line of monster truck Happy Meal toys that were pretty solid little, like they had big, gigantic rubber tires, little matchbox bodies on top of them. They were good toys. Boats and Floats was a container, like it, rather than the normal Happy Meal box, the red box with the golden arches on top that clipped together, this was an actual plastic boat that your food would be inside of, your chicken nuggets or your cheeseburger or whatever, would come inside this boat. And once you ate your food, you put it back together, and it floated. It was a toy. The whole container was a floating boat toy. Castle Makers, another summer toy, because obviously the boats and floats were a, a summertime thing. Castle Makers were sand pails, uh, that were also the Happy Meal containers that you could bring to the beach, and it came with a little shovel or a rake or whatever, and a sieve as the lid, and then the bottom part would make a sandcastle. 
Fraggle Rock, uh, very similar to the Muppet Babies toys, except they were in little cars. Halloween pails, these are legendary. Everybody knows the McDonald's Halloween pails. Now, they've evolved since then because initially they were just three pumpkins with different faces. Uh, Real Ghostbusters, they ended up doing school supplies, which is just lame. Uh, Fuck those. Uh, Runaway Robots uh, were pullback robots that were... Just these 80s toy-looking ro- uh, robots that were all on wheels, and you just pulled them. They had the pull-back-and-go action. But this was a legendary year for Happy Meal toys because changeables are still sought to this day. Muppet Babies are still a huge pop culture item. All of this stuff, like this was a banner year for back when McDonald's still put actual toys in their Happy Meals. So this this is like... When I started doing my research and looking at toy lines, because obviously I was going to pick a toy line, and there's Boglins, there's Battle Beasts, there's whatever, but this stuff, like, this was amazing for the time, that, that they were still doing this. Do you guys remember any of this stuff that I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that uh, not a lot of what you mentioned, but I think that there's probably a couple of Muppet Babies and Changeables in a toy chest or in a box in my parents' basement somewhere. Nice. It's it's been a while since I've perused through that, but I remember you know vividly getting some of those toys. Um, I think there's probably maybe like one or two old Halloween pails down there, probably full of like old Matchbox cars. Um, so I def- definitely remember that, and I agree with what you said about that. That's when they were toys. That's when it was something that you kind of like sank your teeth into, as opposed to just the generic knockoff stuff that came you know years later after we were past that point anyway. But you know, the changeables is probably one of the most standout things from Happy Meals. I think that, like you said, everybody remembers those. The minute you say, you know, if you say changeable, people are like, eh. And then if you're like, you know, McDonald's food transformers, they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> right, I, right, right. I definitely had those. Um, yeah, I, I probably have like the full set at that point. Just, you know, being a kid, being on the go all the time, that's when you went to McDonald's the most. So I probably have a couple of those still lingering around. Well, and those were the kind of premiums that got the kid. Like, I would beg my mom, we got to go to McDonald's because the, the, the big breakfast transformer comes out today or whatever. Like we, I had to have those. And, uh, the, to me, the changeables and the Halloween chicken McNuggets, which granted were not 1987, but if you remember the little chicken McNuggets figures that like dressed up as Frankenstein and Dracula and stuff. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. Those were the best, uh, any kind of, of food premium toys of all time. Sean and Beth. They're like little Mr. Potato Head kind of things. Yeah, 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 exactly. They were little rubber chicken McNuggets. Each one had a different face and little buggy eyes on it. And then they came with accessories that were little costumes of like a pirate or whatever. They were awesome. Beth and Sean, were you guys into these or are you guys too old for that? (laughs) Thanks. Appreciate that. Uh, uh, Yeah, I actively, so I had some of those chicken nuggets. And I remember uh, trick-or-treating with the trick-or-treat Happy Meal containers. Like, we would just go around the neighborhood, and that would be my, like, trick-or-treat. I don't – it was dumb because you couldn't fit a whole lot of candy in it, and I had to keep going home. But it was the cool thing to have. Like, to have an actual pail instead of a pillowcase or, like, a a crappy plastic bag. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, we totally trick-or-treated around uh, around my neighborhood with those. We're like, these are awesome. And you're like, I got a ghost. And somebody else is like, I got a pumpkin. And uh, and we thought it was rad. So, yeah, I remember a lot of those. And when you brought it up, I was is not is that the same year they started doing a lot of the mini Lego kits as well? Uh, I think those came later on. I want to say those weren't until, like, 89 or 90. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I remember the the Lego kids well. But yeah, I had I had some of the transforming ones. Definitely had the chicken McNuggets. The chicken McNuggets were they had a whole like animated commercial. Yeah. Well, it was, well, like a, it, was a, it wasn't animated. They were puppets. Oh, they were, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. That was fantastic. It's it's one of my favorite commercials of all time because they're adorable. What about yeah, you, Beth? I well, we all know I don't give a crap about Transformers. <laughs> never have, never will. But transforming but, hotcakes? Well, I I went for the Fraggle Rock. Okay, there you go. I, I came for the Happy Meal. I stayed for the Fraggle Rock. I remember, and I wish I still had them. I remember Moki was in like a radish or something. Like, yeah, I think I I ate a lot of McDonald's when those were out because I wanted all of them, and I know I had like three boobers, <laughs> but I was okay with that. He was my favorite. <laughs> Uh, and your parents I just don't have you in a sideshow. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't have any of those anymore, and I wish I did. Yeah, they but were. But those were the those were the ones I was really into, and and the rest of meh. Yeah, they were each in like some kind of, kind of little vegetable car or something. I remember it was a weird little gimmick, but they, they were neat. They were cool, and they were Fraggle Rock. And there at the time, uh, you know, back then, not every cartoon or show or whatever got a toy line so sometimes the mcdonald's toy was all you got and no i didn't get actual fraggle rock figures or well dolls because i have dolls but i didn't get those until the 90s yeah i mean they weren't i think all they had were the higher end like stuffed animal things and those were you know those were probably 20 bucks or so a piece those are those are a different proposition than a two dollar happy meal exactly all right Oh, I'm so glad to have gotten that out. I was so excited about my Happy Meal Toys diatribe. All right, let's see here. Uh, let's go back around to Chris. What is your second pick? All right, so this one, I feel like this might be, um, you know, I don't know how much you guys know about this style of music, but it's kind of a sentimental choice. So freestyle music was big in the 80s and early 90s. It was Basically, like, typical pop music, kind of like an offshoot, a little more dance vibe to it. Um, groups like Expose, um, you know, I know that I'm probably speaking a foreign language at this point, um, but I'm pretty well-versed musically. And the reason that I like freestyle music uh, probably stems from the fact that my cousin was linked up with one of the top freestyle singers that kind of crossed over in the pop world. So 1987 was his debut on the charts. Uh, a singer named Stevie B released a song called Party Your Body. So I'm going to just... Ask if you know that song, but I'm expecting three no's. I feel like I know uh, I, I know Stevie B, and if the song started playing, I feel like I would know it. Sean, what were you saying? I was going to say, yeah, I absolutely remember Stevie B, um, but I wouldn't have uh, realized it until much later when I worked at a roller skating rink and the DJ played it on the regular. Uh, it was a, a regular rotation there. So, yeah, yeah totally definitely, definitely that. roller skating music. Yeah, I, I know the name. I just I don't know the song off the top of my head. Yep. Well, that song came out in 1987. Um, it was not until like a year or two later, it was 88 or 89, when the full album came out. But the reason I mention it as being one of my favorite things of 87 is because he actually took my cousin on first as a dancer on tour, and then my cousin actually became his manager, confidant, slash promoter. So growing up in the late 80s, early 90s, when freestyle was kind of all the rage and I was too young to get into a club, I was getting all of the promo tapes and CDs and all this stuff sent to me from California and Las Vegas while my cousin was out on tour 
and out promoting freestyle shows and, and Stevie B shows. So it was just a, a really kind of cool quirk growing up. Um, you know, obviously being at that age, like you're kind of starstruck by anything. So I got to be like the cool freestyle kid. Um, and it was, you know, up here in the Northeast, up in Providence, it was really big because a lot of the groups and a lot of the bands came from New York. So between Florida and New York was where you found a lot of the major acts. So around here in Rhode Island, Massachusetts, New England, uh, it was just, you know, kind of bigger than it was elsewhere in the country, um, as I've learned through the years. So... <laughs> Uh, for, yeah, uh, I know exactly because I grew up in Pennsylvania. I was still up there in that time, and I just looked up a bunch of it online. I was like, "Oh, I remember a lot of these songs." Yeah, that, and '87 uh, was really a year where a lot of them, like Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam, Expose, it's where a lot of those bands really started breaking through. So I like we were talking before, and Phantom was saying, "You know, you don't want to do three movies or three TV shows or anything." So I'm like, "You know, let me look at the stuff musically," and it was a toss up between this. Or uh, Paid in Full by Eric B. and Rakim, which is one of my favorite hip-hop albums of all time. Yeah. Um, Because I'm I'm a big old-school hip-hop head. And I went with the sentimental choice, you know, much like Garbage Pail Kids, just because it kind of had an impact on me growing up. You know, when we talked about how 87 was a killer year for stuff, I didn't realize until I was starting to research, like, it was a lot of stuff that kind of molded my youth and molded me, you know, evolving into the, you know, much older geek that I am today. Um so, you know, I, I went with that one. I actually didn't expect uh, too much familiarity with Stevie B. Um, you know, his his big breakthrough, like I said, was a couple years later. Um, his number one hit was uh, actually a slow song as opposed to a freestyle song. It was uh, the Because I Love You song, which was like a popular wedding song in the early 90s. And he's actually still doing shows. There's a lot of freestyle shows, especially up this way. Um, and up until a couple of years ago, my cousin was still promoting him uh, around the country um, that relationship has since ended um you know not any you know drama or anything like that just you know both veer off into different paths but yeah for about 25 years or so uh my my cousin was actually you know part of his entourage and, and part of his promotion so i grew up very closely to the freestyle genre and you know that was the year that kind of started sucking me and that's when everybody started coming out nice yeah i can't i like i said i know the names obviously lisa lisa and cult jam uh, but, but as far as, yeah, I don't have any personal, uh, particular attachment to that. Beth and Sean, well, Sean, you, you being a, a, a northerner. <laughs> uh, we, yeah. And I had, um, so I had cousins. I had like five older female cousins and this was all they listened to. So anytime we would go to their house to visit, it would be this kind of music just playing nonstop. So there's a lot of it that when it plays, I recognize it and I can be like, Oh, and I can tell you where I was when I heard it. And I don't, but if you told me the title or anything right off the top of my head. Yeah. So when, when you brought it up, I went and listened to it. I went, man, this sounds really familiar. And I looked at some of the other bands. I was like, I've heard all of this. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, really popular in, in the Northeast. What about you, Beth? Do you, do you have any memories of this uh, particular format? No, I, I I remember the name, but like I said, I don't I don't remember any songs of his. And yeah, I, I know who Lisa Lisa Cult Jam is, but that that's about it. We were too busy listening to George Michael. Uh, <laughs> I think I was getting a little too new wave at that point. Oh no, you were uh, you were all flock of seagulls, huh? Oh, not that bad. <laughs> no, she was <laughs> New if, Order. If, if, no, if later years are any indicator, she was Peter Murphy. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> I, I still got right. my list. <laughs> All right, Sean, what is your uh, second pick? Uh, my second pick is um, 
a cartoon that blew my mind when it came out because it was so different than everything else. And this is, you know, I grew up on, you know, like you, Thundercats, Transformers, G.I. <laughs> Joe, and I figured I'd seen it all. And then I turn on the television, and there's a bunch of ninja fucking turtles. <laughs> <laughs> that was and, that was one of my alternates. Oh, man. Yeah. One of mine, too. <laughs> when, when that cartoon came out, I was completely blown away and taken aback. And I was like, this is – I remember my parents coming in, and by this point, they were pretty well aware of the fact that I was just going to be into weird shit. And <laughs> – <laughs> right by the and, t- by the time you're 11, they've kind of given up, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. At that point, they're like, "We got, we got nothing." He's not, <laughs> he's not going to play sports. <laughs> he's got a bike, and he listen, he reads comic books, and he listens to this weird shit, um, and he stands like George Michael all the time. Uh, <laughs> with the butt. What's with the butt, son? What's the, Stop what are you doing with the with butt. That? We um, try and go to Red Lobster. You're just standing by the table, shaking your butt. You got to uh, stop you know, it. Cute waitress. I was doing what I could. Um, <laughs> <laughs> didn't work. Um, but uh, but yeah. So Ninja Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out, and I I had to have all of them. Like as soon as it came out, I was like, "We're going to Hills," which was the department store up in uh, up in Pittsburgh at the time. And I was like, "We're going to Hills," and I just was like, "And I want this one, and I want this one, and I want this one." And um, they're actually the only toy that I had managed to keep. After all these years, is my I have my four original turtles. Oh, nice! Um, that I got back shortly after the the cartoon came out. Um, I was just obsessed with it. It was the weirdest shit in the world, and I became obsessed, even more obsessed with mutants. And I've been reading X Men comics, but those were a different kind of mutants than like the Ninja Turtles with the mutagen, right? X Men X Men aren't as much like Cyclops is is not as much fun to look at as like Leatherhead or Baxter Stockman. Right, exactly. Like I, I love the the idea of like I used to be a person and I used or I used to be a rat and now I'm a person. Um, so yeah, so that was that was a game changer. That took me in a whole new direction. And then a few years later, it would um, and I think we actually talked about this on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode. But yeah, it was that led me down a whole new path of comic books that I didn't even know existed. Um, until the show came out, and then I learned, I was like, oh, this is based on a comic book. And then I was like, oh, well, shit, indie comics are neat, and these black and white comics are really cool. And then I kind of went down that well much later in, in life as a, as a comics fan. So, um, yeah, so that's my that's my big one was uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Beth, did you, did you catch Turtle Fever back then, or were you already on to other things? It may surprise you all to know that I had many, many Turtles figures. Really? Really? It was worth uh, this whole entire show just to find that out. <laughs> it was one of the few things that my brother and I collected together, and I had Usagi Yojimbo, and he was my very favorite. I loved him. I also had all... Well, we kind of shared the four original Turtles, but I had Casey Jones and... Usagi Ujimbo and several others. And then he had all the bad guys, so, you know, we still screwed around. Even though I was 13 at the time, we still screwed around and threw turtles at each other. That I, I Beth, you're one of my favorite people in the world, but I've got to say, I don't think I've ever been more charmed by you than to have heard that. <laughs> <laughs> because I like Ninja Turtles. Yes, absolutely. Well, and the, fa- the fact that... That because uh, I, I was uh, I, I was collecting them at that point too, and 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 in the 
quote unquote too old to be collecting, you know, toys, uh, still getting them. I love that. That's great. Chris, what about you? Uh, I was huge into it. Uh, as I mentioned on the 1986 podcast, when we had talked about, uh, no retreat, no surrender, I was big into the karate Kung Fu scene, whether it be movies and all that. I was taking Taekwondo. So to have a cartoon about superhero, turtle mutant ninja like you throw ninja on anything and i would have watched it so <laughs> let alone you know that it's you know ninja turtles in this awesome cartoon and just you know i was immediately smitten with it and i remember uh, as soon as the figures came out um my birthday is the week before christmas so as a youngster i tended to get quite spoiled thankfully uh, thanks to all the family members that did that so i remember getting the entire first wave of figures along with the VHS tape that had the syndicated premiere um, that had been split into the five parts. Um, I think it was called, I think the tape was called heroes in a half shell. Um, But I remember getting that as one of my big gifts that year. And, you know, I I had the turtle fever for a couple of years, but probably around the time I was, I don't know, 11 or so, I started focusing more on, the superhero releases and kind of, you know, went drifted towards like toy biz with X-Men and Marvel and stuff like that. Right. That right. the animated series. Uh, I kind of got sucked away from the turtles. Um, but I've, you know, kind of jumped back on board in recent years. Matter of fact, I have the entire first wave of the WWE crossover turtles that came out as Walmart exclusives. Of course. Uh, I grabbed those and I was very tempted by those NECA exclusives a couple of weeks ago, but I just, I, you know, uh, being a family man, I just, I just couldn't pull the trigger at this point, but it's, uh, you know, it's kind of like the Godfather. Every time you think you're out, they suck you right back in. So I have no doubts that, you know, the turtles are going to uh, get my money again someday very soon because they've always been a long time favorite. Yeah. I, I had, uh, even, even though I was a little older, I had the same transition that you did. Uh, cause I, I went, I was, what got me was not the cartoons, but was the toys. Cause the cartoons, where, and we talked about this on the Turtles episode. Uh, I was never, I didn't totally love the cartoons because they were just a little too campy for me. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I watched them all, but the toys were my true love. But just like you, I, I transitioned from the Turtles to the X Men because as soon as Toy Biz started putting out uh, those X Men toys, like that Wolverine with the pop out claws. That, oh God, yeah, that, oh, dude, I loved that, it. Yeah, that was it. That was it. The Cyclops with the little switch on his back with the light up visor. But we'll we'll have to save that for our what nineteen ninety one episode, I guess. For- yep. Stay tuned four years from now. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. So I'm I'm going to go ahead with my second pick now, and it's something that as I was putting my list together, I realized just how big an impact this really had on me. I was, you know, I grew up. Because I was born in 76, uh, definitely a big TV kid. I grew up with Star Trek. But Star Trek The Next Generation, which started in 1987, uh, started syndicated, was my, like, obsession. That was when I truly... Because I had seen, again, my mom took me to see the original crew movies in the theaters. And I loved those. I, I thought they were great. But when Star Trek The Next Generation started, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before because the sets were so slick. The acting compared to other things that I had seen that were genre, you know, television or movies was, was so good 
but it was still this like science fiction and I understand people are going to not like me saying that it's fantasy but in 1987 when you're 11 years old and you're seeing Q materialize on the bridge of the Enterprise that is fantasy people uh that is not science fiction so to me this show blew my mind and I became obsessed with catching it on television like Nothing else that I was watching at the time because the G.I. Joe cartoon was kind of close to dead in the water at that point. The movie, which, by the way, to, to, to tell you all you need to know about the G.I. Joe movie that came out in 1987, G.I. Joe is one of my all-time favorite franchises. It's my favorite toy line, but G.I. Joe the movie did not make my list here at all. Uh so Star Trek The Next Generation, I was just obsessed with it. I loved this guy, Picard, although I will admit this, and this is a terrible thing to say, the fact that he was bald but he was the leader bothered the shit out of me when I was 11. <laughs> and that's so wrong, but as a kid, you know, you, you don't know. You're just like, why is this bald guy in charge? But Patrick Stewart was so good that it, it worked even to an 11-year-old kid who wanted to see somebody dashing like Riker in charge. Uh, it was very clear why Picard was the leader. Um, and Riker was just the cool guy. I loved Riker. And then Data and Geordi with their, their pals, their science pals. They figure all the shit out, and they're kind of vulnerable. And like we get all these great stories about Data trying to be human and Geordi who's like this awkward, nerdy guy that I could totally relate to. And just this, this incredible, lovable cast uh, in this amazing-looking Enterprise because that next-generation Enterprise is one of the baddest-ass vehicles ever. I love that thing so much. Uh, so that I, that's, that's it. That's, I love that freaking show. It started in 1987, which is funny to think back. I, I don't ever think of it as starting in the 80s. Uh, because uh, in all honesty, that first season, as much as I was attached to it, in hindsight, it's not great. Uh, the show didn't really start to get great until the 89 season. But, uh, man, I just I, I love it. And the fact that it started that year when I was 11 years old, it just hit me at just the right time. Uh, and I love it. Now, how, how do you guys feel about Next Generation? Or, or specifically, do you remember it starting back then? I honestly, when you said 87, I was like, wait, what, really? Right, it's right. that old? It doesn't it seem like it like should it be. It came on in the 90s. Well, and that's, I, that's, I when it, that's when it was great. But, it I mean, it started in 87, that first... Uh, not awesome season. That that was it. But I grew up watching the original series, and then when the next generation came on and it got good, I was like, "Oh yeah, Picard's my man." My dad and I have had several heated debates about Shatner versus Picard. Kurt versus Picard has become a, a hot topic in the house <laughs> <laughs> because I'm I'm Picard all the way. He's a much better captain. I'm still torn. Uh, but I, 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 could, I could sit on either side of that argument, depending on who was on the other side. But I, I remember uh, the, when Lieutenant Yar asked Data if he was fully functional. I think I was 13 at the time. I was like, <gasps> that's so crazy. Oh, my gosh. 
That's not like making out with green Martian girls. That's crazy. She's going to do it with an, with an android. <laughs> <laughs> and Will Wheaton in his terrible, terrible sweaters. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, Will Wheaton and then the weird episodes where they would go to, like, vacation planets where people barely wore any clothes and you're, like, very slightly uncomfortable. And and why did they have a hollow deck if every time it malfunctions, everything in the hollow deck comes to life and tries to kill you? Uh, purely so that in later seasons, uh, Murdoch. Oh gosh, I can't remember the actor's name. Right, Howling Mad Murdoch, who played him, I can't remember. Dwight Schultz. Dwight Schultz's character uh, would go in and have sex fantasies with all the female cast members. That's purely what the holodeck was there for. <laughs> well, what else are you going to use it for? You're in space. Chris, what about you? Do you have a fondness for, for the next generation or any Star Trek at all? Uh, I've, <laughs> this, is, this is probably catch heat with, uh, with everybody. I've got pretty much, um, nothing but apathy <laughs> for Star Trek. It's, no, no, that's it's fine. Not, I totally understand. Believe me. It's not something that I ever sank my teeth into. I was always more of a fan of sci-fi type stuff like alien or aliens. Like, I, you know, the more thriller aspect of sci-fi type stuff. So, sure. um, you know, and, and obviously I say this without seeing seeing very little Star Trek in my life. You know, I used to I used to watch the reruns as a kid because they'd be on you know local TV syndication and everything. And you know, much like we were just talking a few minutes ago, I didn't realize that it was 1987. Like I remember the Next Generation blowing up around the time frame 89, 90 when like Playmates started merchandising them. Exactly, and they had all the different toys and stuff like that. Like I remember that era, and I remember seeing the toys and thinking, okay, well I'll I'll check this out. I'll see how this is, and I just I, I did watch it a couple of times, but I never latched onto it. Like, you know, with all the stuff that I retain, I've honestly retained no specifics of the show. Um, it's just something that's always been there. Like, Star Trek's just been one of those things that I've really never paid it any mind. And I honestly don't know how I'd feel about it if I looked back on it now. So, I mean, you know, maybe someday I'll do a binge and check it out. Maybe I'll just kind of leave it be. But I'm not as well versed in the Star Trek universe as I am with some of the uh, other subject matter. No, and that's compl- I, I will never be one of those guys who says, I can't believe you don't know Star Trek. I'm not that guy at all. Uh, we, you don't we, like the Garbage Pail Kids movie? <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't have time to love everything in the world. We just don't. Uh, Sean, what about you? Any, any Star Trek love? No, I'm not a Star Trek guy either. I kind of just never, never got into it. Well, there you go. <laughs> let's uh let's move on then uh to beth what is your number two pick i i feel like it's okay to go back to a movie now so i'm I gonna so. do my movie and, and this was a tough one because my short list was tough uh and it's probably obvious i'm going with the princess bride nothing Damn wrong it. with that that's a noble <laughs> choice what noble Yes. It it was tough. I wanted to pick Predator. I wanted to pick Lost Boys. <laughs> no, I was, believe was, me. I, and for the listeners, um, and you guys probably went about this in a similar way that I did, I went to Wikipedia and I looked at American movies of 1987, and holy fucking shit, you guys, American movies in 1987, I, I was like, because I, I was cutting and pasting from Wikipedia to my notes, and I just kept pasting stuff i i couldn't believe like every other thing i was like well shit that's a great movie oh my gosh that's a great movie it was 
if I didn't already have such strong affection for the one I picked, I don't know what I would have done. I would have lost my mind. So good for you, Beth, for being able to pick Princess Bride. Tell us about it, Princess Bride. It was Bride. tough. I, I will say the only thing that annoys me about it is we went to uh, the movie tavern up at North Lake, which I love because I love drinking in movies together. And they showed The Princess Bride, and everyone in the theater was obviously as big a fan as me. And everyone said every oh, single line the entire time. Uh, <laughs> no. So, okay, so what, that, that you, was the only thing that bugged me. Otherwise, it really holds up, and I own it. I still watch it. Like, Lost Boys doesn't hold up. Predator comes on TV ten times a month. I can still watch it anytime I want to without buying it. Princess Bride, I own it. I still want to watch it. I still love it. It's still hilarious. Everyone in it is so good. And, yeah, you could quote the lines from now till the end of the world, but they're all so good. That's why they're still so quotable. Well, let me let me ask you this. Did you see it in 1987? Was this a theatrical thing? Did you see it on VHS? How did you first become aware of this movie? I know I saw commercials for it, and I said, damn, I want to see that. But who the hell's going to take me to see that? Because it was not something that, you know, I'm 13. My parents aren't going to take me to see it. I'm not dating, so how else am I going to see it? And I didn't have friends who thought that that looked cool because my friends were punk rock assholes. So probably VHS. So, so I know I saw it on VHS because, you know, there's this thing called Blockbuster Kids. Oh, yeah. You won't know Ask about your folks. it. We we you miss be able to rent movies. Talk we, talk to your parents. We miss the video stores. Yeah, I know. I know that I didn't see it just because, uh, you know, at the time I was eleven, and I'm not watching anything called The Princess Bride, uh, regardless of of the fact that Andre the Giant is in it. Uh, I didn't see it till years later when I was in high school, uh, hanging out with a mutual friend of me and Rad Rangers that that we've mentioned before, Jessica Love. Uh, and Carly Curtin, who's been on the Needless Things podcast, uh, we used to hang out at Jessica's mom's house and watch movies. And at some point or another, she puts in The Princess Bride. And that's when I saw it. And and I'm sure I was, because I, I would bet you I was at least 16 or 17 at the time. And I am sure Mr. Punk Rock Tough Guy was like, what is this bullshit? I don't want to watch The Princess Bride, whatever. But there are probably a lot, of, a lot of girls hanging out. So I was like trying to play it cool. Like, oh, maybe maybe if we watch this movie, there might be some kissing later. So, <laughs> so How'd that work out for you? Because there wasn't any kissing, was there? Because all, all dudes here, let's go ahead and admit, when you're that age, the there might be kissing later is a powerful motivator for lots of dumb things. Um, it's still a powerful motivator. For dumb <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, and that was, you know, it, it went in and it ended up being this phenomenal movie that I, I now uh, love and, and have actually owned uh, in every, well, not, uh, not Laserdisc, but uh, I've owned on VHS, DVD, and now Blu-ray because it, it is a tremendous movie. Uh, Wallace Shawn, uh, by far, his his character in that is one of my favorite movie characters of all time. Uh, well, what you about know, you? I don't believe that you? You know I don't believe in buying movies anymore and 
paying to own physical copies of things, but that is one that I do actually own. And I do watch it probably at least once a year. I, I should do an episode with you and Arian about the evils of materialism. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be appropriate for needless things. Uh, Chris and Chris and Sean, what about you guys? Princess Bride memories? Uh, I enjoy it. Uh, I didn't see it when it first came out. It was probably maybe like two or three years later. Um, just rented it on a whim. Um, just, you know, I, I, I don't love it, you know, to the extent of Beth, um, or to the extent of some people, cause I have friends that will quote it constantly. Uh, but it was enjoyable for me growing up as a wrestling fan. The cool thing was, Hey, Andre, the giants in a movie. Um, so that was like the big takeaway for me. But as it was one of those things that as I got older, I appreciated it more. I remember like watching it and, you know, the first time it was just like, Oh, Andre the Giant. Oh, Billy Crystal. Like, oh, ha, ha, ha. Like, you know, just kind of digging it, but not really kind of caring either way. But it was one of those movies that I'd leave on in the background. Like, if I was doing homework and it was on HBO or something, like, I, you know, I liked it enough to where I'd watch it again. But it never stuck with me as a, a need to own, need to buy, need to watch it. Uh, although we do have a copy nowadays. It's something that I probably really clicked with when I was a teenager and started kind of going back and looking at some of the movies of my youth and, and checking them out again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Sean, what about you? Uh, this was actually going to be my first movie pick before <laughs> Beth took it. Oh, oh so I guess I'm going to have to go with Superman for the quest for peace. Uh, wait, no, I'm it's not, not your turn yet. I was just asking you about princess bride. No, I'm just making a joke. Cause who the hell would go with Superman for? That's a horrible. <laughs> well, I don't um, know. If, I don't know if it says something about you or something about me that I really thought that was your pick. <laughs> <laughs> I think it says a lot about both of you. <laughs> And none of them are good things. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's probably completely accurate, Beth. Um, yeah, I absolutely love this movie. Uh, I watched – now, I don't know that I saw it in 1987. I don't think I actually saw it till, uh a couple years later, and I was watching on VHS, um, probably much like you, over at a friend's house, and they put it in. And I'm like, what? And I was like, oh, but it's got pirates and sword fights, and that's cool. I like those things. And holy shit, there's Andre the Giant. And then I just became hooked. And I don't know that I admitted to everybody that I was a huge fan of the movie, but anytime it was on, I was watching it. Or if I ever went over to a friend's house and it was on, my ass was like plopped on the floor in front of it. And I'm saying all the lines and the as you wish. And hell, I still make jokes from that movie today. And uh, yeah, and this part one of the reasons why um, uh, Pierre Devereaux is one of my favorite characters on Psych, uh, because he's played by um, Christ. I can remember his character name. Can't remember his, his real name. Uh, Wesley. Um, Carrie always. Carrie always. Jesus, thank you. Uh, yeah, and I was like, oh my God, it's, 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 uh, Wesley. Uh, Wesley. The Dread On Pirate Psych. Roberts. Right, exactly. It's the guy from Saul. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, and then how cool is seeing, uh, Princess Buttercup be, um, Antiope in the new Wonder Woman movie? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, everything about that movie was cool. Yeah. But that oh, was I'm a whole other, other episode. What was that, two episodes ago, something like that? Yes. Yeah. I was we we went from for... Wonder Woman to Orgasmo. I feel like that's not entirely appropriate. <laughs> that Which I could be the subtitle the of the whole Needless Things podcast, not entirely appropriate. All right, we are going to take a quick break, during which the listeners will find out some fascinating, scintillating facts about 1987. Stay tuned. How much things cost in America in 1987. The yearly inflation rate was 3.66%. Year-end closed Dow Jones Industrial Average, 
1938. Interest rates year in Federal Reserve, 8.75%. Average cost of a new house, $92,000. Median price of an existing home, $85,500. Average income per year, $24,350. But what if you're a private first class in the Army? $9,385.20. Average monthly rent, $395. Average price for that new car, $10,355. One gallon of gas was $0.89. Cents, but a pound of bacon was $1.80. U.S. postage stamp came in at 24 cents. And finally, a dozen eggs were 65 centaroonies. That's all from 1987. All right, I hope everybody enjoyed listening to those needless facts, and I hope you all feel smarter now. It is time to move on to round three, which I am going to kick off with a 1987 movie that is one of my favorite movies of all time. And this was a really, really tough call because another one of my favorite movies of all time came out the same year but it would be somewhat disingenuous to use Evil Dead 2 in this format because I did not see it anywhere near 1987. It was probably uh, 89, maybe even 90 before I saw Evil Dead 2. But RoboCop, on the other hand, uh, I did not see in the theater, obviously, because it was rated R, still one of the most graphic American movies of all time. And... uh it came out on VHS, and I, at a friend of mine's house, uh, once again, a mutual friend of myself and Red Ranger, uh, Wayne, who at some point is probably going to end up on this show. Is that, is that a fair bet, you think, Sean? Oh, God, I hope so. It would be we need, amazing. Yeah, we need to make that happen. But uh, Wayne's parents were super cool, uh, in, in the words of my parents, probably permissive. So all of the R-rated like horror and science fiction movies and whatever else that I saw, I saw at Wayne's. And I saw RoboCop when it came out on VHS. And for some reason, I latched onto that movie. Uh, I think it was my burgeoning interest in uh, horror, which granted, RoboCop's not a horror movie, but it has some of the most incredible gore of all time. Uh, the humor of it that, again, my brain was just starting to pick up on satire and, you know, whereas a couple of years earlier I might not have understood just how hilarious a movie RoboCop really is, I, I, I was starting to get it then. And then the performances from, like, Miguel Ferrer and uh, Red from that 70s show, whose name I cannot remember at the moment. Chris, you've saved us on names all night long. Kurt Woodsmith. You are the man. Holy shit. <laughs> and, of course, Peter How Weller. Uh, Peter Weller, who's one of my favorite actors of all time. This movie just captivated me in a way that, really, at that point, I don't know if anything else had, aside from maybe the Star Wars movies. And 
the first time it came on HBO, I recorded it. And I went through a phase. Now, this was probably not in 1987 because back then, uh, RoboCop came out in 1987, probably during the summer. I didn't look up the date because I'm a terrible, terrible podcast host. Uh, but the VHS would come out probably six months after the movie, if not a little later, and then it would hit cable probably a year after the movie was in theaters because back then the movie would be in theaters for six months. As a matter of fact, the VHS might have taken a year to come out. But there was a point in my life where I had recorded RoboCop off of cable and I came home from school and watched RoboCop every day. I shit you not. Five days a week for, I don't know how long, a couple months at least, possibly longer, I would come home and I would watch RoboCop. I was absolutely obsessed with this movie and it's one of it's one of the movies that I give a perfect score to because everything about it is on point. The performances are fantastic. Yes, they're a little campy, they're a little over the top, but they're supposed to be. The satire is just even today still relevant. Uh the effects are tremendous. Uh the, the Ed 209 superimposing is only slightly better than the Rancor, but it doesn't take you out of the movie. I, I just I adore this movie. I watch it probably more than yearly. Uh, I, I would say a couple times a year I probably pull this movie out. I've owned it in every format there is. I've even owned this one on Laserdisc, even though I never owned a Laserdisc player. Uh, I fucking love RoboCop. And, and it's it, it was tough, because as we mentioned before, a lot of incredible movies came out in 1987, but this one really had an impact on my love of special effects, my love of gore, my love of comedy, uh, just so many aspects of who I am are wrapped up in this movie and it hitting me when I was 11, 12 years old. Uh, what about you guys? You got? Did you guys see RoboCop in 87? Did you have an awareness of it back then? Uh, Chris, you were a little bit younger. You probably saw RoboCop a little bit later. Did it have an impact on you? Uh, I actually saw it when it hit video uh, because... My family was always pretty cool about letting me see things that maybe I shouldn't have, but kind of explaining it along the way. Um, I had mentioned earlier my cousin that was recording, you know, movies for me, Garbage Pail Kids and stuff like that. So, uh, during the 80s, you know, during the VCR boom, he used to record pretty much everything and kind of built a movie library off of blank VHS tapes and Robocop being one of them. So I watched it and he explained it as, oh, he's a superhero, but he's a robot, and he's going to shoot these guys. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then it's just like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm like, you, you didn't you know, tell it, me it, when he shot them they were going to explode. <laughs> I mean, at, at that point in my life, I had already watched Terminator. I had always already seen Revenge of the Ninja. I had already seen some of the Friday the 13th. Oh, so, okay, I mean, okay. you know, but, Blood and guts were, were not anything big. It, it was always, you know, the rule of thumb was always if it gets too intense, we're going to tell you to turn your eyes, we're going to tell you to turn your head, you know, that old gag. Sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, uh, watching Robocop and trying to quote Robocop at age eight was probably not, you know, my, my best, my best moment. <laughs> but I, I was see you of, as an eight year old going, bitches leave. <laughs> that's, that's actually ex exactly what happened at one point. <laughs> I uh, wanted to watch the TV at my aunt's house and my older cousins. You know, and when I say older cousins, I mean they were in their 20s at this point. And I'm like, I want to watch TV. And they're like, oh, you got to wait a minute. And I'm like, 
bitches leave. That's and they're fantastic. like, what? Where did that come from? Um, <laughs> well, I didn't know. I mean, that's probably why it had such an impact on me because I think at that point in my life, it was the most extreme movie I had seen. I had seen Aliens, and Aliens is, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's an action flick, but compared to the intentionally in-your-face gore of RoboCop, Aliens is a different thing. Uh, not just in, in what you see, but in the way that it's, the context that it's presented. And it, and it really blew my mind, because I, I didn't have a ton of experience with that kind of stuff at the time. And uh, it's just amazing what it blew up into because, you know, and you know, there's no way in hell that movies that get R ratings would be marketed and merchandised eventually as kitty toys. Oh, yeah, it was crazy at the time. You there built was a, a whole franchise around RoboCop. There were Commando figures and dolls. There, were Ram- there was a Rambo cartoon. There was a cartoon. Yeah, there was a cartoon series for all these rated R movies, that, which granted, you know, now we get – it's a little different because we have Predator toys and Toys R Us, but back then, you know, RoboCop and the Night Force is a cartoon, and they have toys in the aisles. And yeah, Rambo. What the? What is Rambo doing in the toy aisles? <laughs> but he had a cartoon. It was crazy. Good times, better times, maybe. I don't know. Much better times. Uh, Sean, what about you, RoboCop? Uh, caught it later. Loved it as soon as I saw it. I'm revisited just, I'm just, it. I'm just glad to know that you've seen it. I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> Jesus. I hate you. Uh, uh, um, revisited it not that long ago as an adult. And seeing it through adult eyes, I was like, holy shit, all the stuff that I missed. You know, like as a kid, it was all just explosions. Right, like, right, oh, right. This is badass, all these explosions. As an adult watching it, I was like, like you mentioned, it's it is brilliant. It's brilliant. so that, clever. It is so good. Um, and if you don't get, I'll buy that for a dollar stuck in your head. I don't know what's wrong with you, um, because that uh, that whole scene just gets um, that scene gets stuck in my head. And I also just uh, I have a um, unapologetic love for dystopian futures, and this is probably one of the best ones. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty much just Detroit. <laughs> but in 1987, it was dystopian. And 2017, it's just Detroit. Right. Um, <laughs> which which yeah, now, uh, we, we are now 20 years after RoboCop was supposed to take place. Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, that's so weird. Beth, what about you? Uh, RoboCop? I got to see it in the theater because oh. I had extra permissive parents. You don't know how you are. You are so much cooler after this episode. <laughs> well, my dad really wanted to see it because he was a big fan. And as am I of Bucker Bonsai. Oh, sure, sure. So a, a kinder, when, when I saw a kinder, gentler Peter Weller, much kinder and much gentler. It was kind of jarring, actually, to watch that and go, wait, he's is he really the good guy? <laughs> He just killed a lot of people. L- little did we know Naked Lunch would come years later. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I saw it in the theater. I loved it. The gore didn't even affect me at that point. I, I've been watching horror movies since I was much younger than 13. So the blood and the guts and stuff like that didn't bother me. I just, it was so different than anything else I'd ever seen. And it was so interesting, and we will never, 
ever speak of the remake. No, we won't. That didn't happen. No, we we definitely won't speak of the the incredibly boring, pointless remake. Uh, (laughs) All right. Sean, what is your pick number three? Well, like I said, it was going to be Princess Bride, uh, but since Beth stole that from me, I'm going to go with my runner-up, which would be Can't Buy Me Love, because since I've already given up any sort of cool points, uh, I'm just going to go with that. Um, Yeah, I I was a complete nerd. Uh, Go figure. Um, All through school. That's (laughs) how you end up on nostalgia-based podcasts. (laughs) uh so watching can't buy me love and um is this this is this a movie have you not seen can't buy me love i mean i know the what beatles song right it's a beatles song so it's a it's a rom-com from 1987 that that explains why i haven't seen it (laughs) (laughs) you Uh, might have watched it just love will be happy to give you a blow by blow by blow whole synopsis of it if you'd like september's needless commentary can't buy me love <laughs> guess, perfect that's guest starring that's my, guest starring mr tibbs that uh that's my birthday month so that'll work out great oh my um, gosh no. yeah so the pl- the plot is a nerd gets a popular girl effectively buys a popular girl whoa and convinces her to um well it's he doesn't buy her he she runs into a financial situation um no, he doesn't. Even, I don't know. Anyway, something he has to happened. buy her an outfit. Sounds yes, like you yes. really like the movie a lot. <laughs> oh, thank you, Beth. You saved well, me from no, having as... to be mean to Sean. <laughs> There's some sort of exchange that takes place where she's going to get in trouble with her parents. He helps her out and saves her from getting in trouble with her parents. In exchange, she pretends to date him, thereby making this geek he goes from geek to chic and he's suddenly sitting at the cool kids table and he's popular and he's well liked but then there's an identity crisis because he turns his back on all of his nerd friends and then he's like oh, i don't want to be popular anymore and be careful what you wish for it's basically a male version of pygmalion uh i really dug it um and there was parts of me that wanted that to happen in high school and be like well maybe if i could just get one popular girl to talk to me sure sure I would have a friend. It didn't happen. I'm not, uh, not going to lie. That part of it, I understand. Right. So, um, yeah. And so I just, I, and it would come on TBS constantly. I feel like it would constantly air like right after Teen Wolf. And I would just be glued to the television. Like the mo- the times when I wasn't watching Rad for the upteen millionth time, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was probably watching Pretty Woman or Teen Wolf. Um, and yeah, so Pretty Woman came out in uh, 1987. And then, Fast forward like 15 years and Patrick Dempsey is, um, I don't even remember his name, but he was on that doctor show that everybody loved. Uh, he was on Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. My, my wife watches it. He was, yeah. uh, oh, I can't think of it. Uh, Derek something. something. Well, that was his nickname. Yeah. yeah his, De- Derek something. I, I can't, not Sloan. Oh my God. My wife watches it like every week and I can't yeah, even, I, I don't know. I but yeah, he was. He was on it. I was just happy to see him in Scream Three. Yeah, he was. He was like he 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 was a real life version of the movie story. He went from the nerdy kid to suddenly women love him. So uh, that was very amusing. His life imitates art, but uh, but yeah. So that would be my movie choice from 1987. Well, obviously, I have nothing to say about Can't Buy Me Love. Uh, 
<laughs> he didn't even know it was a movie. Be- no, Beth and and Chris, anything? I yeah, I. I- <laughs> Am I the only one that has some actual affection for this movie? I, you know, I, I kind of felt as Sean was talking about it, I kind of felt like, you know what? I think Chris and Sean are going to have a connection here. <laughs> Sean can't find me with love. Can't find me with love. Um, no, that was uh, it. Was a movie that I enjoyed. Uh, it was one of those you know movies that just seemed to always be on cable. Um, you know, like you said, like Teen Wolf and in the other movies at the time. Um, Loverboy was another Patrick Dempsey one that was always on a lot that I used to enjoy, but. It was uh, it was a good movie. Uh, I've got it on DVD, and they actually remade it in 2001. They gave it that uh, nice modern update with Nick Cannon, and it was called Love Don't Cost a Thing. Oh my god! Oh, that's it was, right. Uh, now see that I I know now that you say that I I am aware of that. Yep, it was uh, Nick Cannon and uh, Christina Milian, who was kind of like a fly by night pop singer, had like a little bit of an acting career. Oh, I was that... I was working in warehouse music at the time, so I actually know the name Christina Milian. We we sold a yep. lot of her stuff. They uh, they they did remake it. Uh, I actually saw the remake in the theater, believe it or not, and uh, was you know it was entertaining for what it was, but it was just another you know cash in on on nostalgia. So I will stick with the original in this case, but. Yeah, you know, that movie uh, made me want to have a riding mower when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, right. And I actually had the uh, a Mustang very similar to the one they used in that movie. Oh, sweet um, Stang. Yeah, there you go. A, uh, a 1980s Fox body convertible Mustang. Nothing says white trash more than that, except for mm. maybe a Camaro. Bitching Camaro. Uh, Beth, before we move on to your number three pick, do you have anything to say about Can't Buy Me Love? You're going to have to talk to my husband about this one. This is one of those girl movies that I didn't watch that he did. <laughs> Good for you, Beth. Your, your, cool streak, you, you should... your cool streak on this episode remains intact. You should hear him go on and on about just one of the guys. It's Oh, my gosh. Thing. Also a good movie. Ugh. No, it's not. <laughs> All right. Beth, what is your number three pick? I am going with an album, and that was also very tough to pick. And I doubt it will get any reaction from anyone else here. But my favorite album of 1987, and still one of my favorite albums ever, is Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me by The Cure. You all know, just like Kevin, it came out. It was kind of popular at the time. I know you at least know of it. Oh, I'm aware of it, for sure. (laughs) It wasn't the best album ever, like Disintegration, but an excellent album and a very goth-light album for those of us who were of an age at the time to not really go full goth. What What were the hits on it? Did it have any singles? Uh, just like heaven was oh, very big, sure, or the biggest. Uh, probably that's the only big song off of there. I can't think of any others that would have been popular on the radio. But everybody knows just like heaven. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, and in my old age, uh, I, I have softened towards the Cure. They used to be nothing but an object of ridicule for me, but like. As, as I've grown older and nostalgia has become more powerful in my life, there there are Cure songs that, well, I, I would say pretty much any Cure song. I'm like, okay, I remember that. That's nice. Um, Sean, I I feel like I feel like you're a Cure guy. Oh God, yeah. 
Yeah, I absolutely knew the cure. Uh, uh, and and if Noel big... claims that he ever didn't listen to the cure, he's full of shit. I don't think Noel all... would claim that. I don't think he would. I, I think <laughs> Beth, Anybody backing up on this one, you know that oh, uh, yeah. little contingent that hung out in the hallway dressed in all black that we were proto hot topic and we all listened to the cure. Let me let bounce. me ask you let me ask you real quick what to in modern terms. I guess you knew him back then, so it, it, it's not really a fair question. But in modern terms, more shocking: uh, Noel's goth background or Mike Gordon's goth background? Oh. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah. I can't objectively say because I went to high school with right, Noel in right, his goth right. background, and when I found out that Mike Gordon had a goth background, I'm still confused by it because he wears Hawaiian shirts and he's Captain. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's tough to reconcile these things. Oh, uh, what about what about you, Chris? Are you a Cure guy? Uh, I'm probably the furthest thing from a Cure guy <laughs> that you can get. Um, <laughs> that is uh. I, I won't say uh, disparaging things about them because I, I respect their place, and there are songs of theirs that wound up covered by bands that I do like. Uh, cough, cough, three eleven. Um, but, uh, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I'm hanging up now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's a that's a fair trade in. We'll put it this way: I've I've seen three eleven live eighteen times, and I don't think I could name eighteen Cure songs. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> aside from the catchiness of lullaby, uh, and not hating just like heaven, probably because it is one of their most mainstream tracks. Uh, I'm not into the cure at all. Never were. Um, so I really can't say anything bad or good about them just cause I never really gave them that much of the time of day. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all my input on the cure. As we like to say, everybody can't be into everything. All right, Chris, that leaves it with you closing this thing out. What is your, or at least closing the good portion out? We've still got fun to be had. Uh, what is your third uh, favorite thing from 1987? So this one was actually something that bordered on, do I call this a dud or do I call it one of my favorite things? And, and you'll understand, you of all people, oh. I think, Oh Don't no! Understand why. You're you're picking my dud, aren't you? I am leaning towards favoritism, just based on what I went through as a youth with collectability and a cartoon <laughs> oh, <no>. series. But <laughs> oh. I roll with the live action Masters of the Universe. Movie. <laughs> that was my bad thing, which was almost my bad thing. Because and you know what? It's actually been on cable a lot lately, so I've actually been seeing it a lot more because uh, the baby is obsessed with He-Man, watches the original cartoon all the time, and once he realized that there was a live-action one, now he's kind of mesmerized by live-action Skeletor. Uh, that movie, I was so hyped for that movie, just knowing that it was coming out because I loved the cartoon and the toys so much, and we've talked about that on some of my previous appearances. I, to this day, have about 90% of the original masters in varying levels of condition um, still tucked away at my family's house somewhere. So a live-action movie was like a godsend to the you know seven-year-old me just you know, really you know waiting for that to come out. And even when I was a kid, even at seven years old, I'm like, that's not Beast Man. Uh, who's... Uh, was this guy with this like you know, Blade was cool. Blade was like the coolest villain 
in the movie, you know, uh, as far as the new guys, I'm like, who's this like David Bowie sounding guy that's trying to be bad? Like what, what's going on here? What, what is this? And you know, why is Skeletor turning all gold at the end? Like, what is this ridiculousness? And you know, it, it just didn't, it didn't blow up. Like I expected so much out of it. And I'm like, why is he man using a gun? Where's, where's Prince Adam? And I just didn't get any of it out of it, but I can't hate it because there are aspects of it that I do like. Um, I, you know, I do like some of the battle scenes. Uh, I do like the concept of, of coming to earth and all that, but it's just, you know, they could have done so much more, but it was, it was Canon films and they were on the decline at the time. And, and the toy line was kind of seeing the end of days. So I guess it was probably just, you know, too little too late. Um, and I'm very glad that the proposed sequel never went through because that had horrendous written all over it. Uh, I'm not sure if you know the aspects of that one where there was supposed to be a sequel where Prince Adam was now on planet Earth masquerading as a star football player and Skeletor was masquerading as a corrupt businessman. Whoa, no, I am not <laughs> aware of this. Yeah, I'll so, be honest, you make that not He-Man, and I'm kind of a little bit interested in it. <laughs> <laughs> so He-Man was supposedly Earthbound after the events of the first one, like which makes no sense because they went back to Eternia at the end of the first one. Spoiler alert. Um, and uh, he was supposed to be – actually, his name was supposed to be Adam Prince. Uh-huh. Um, and oh, gosh. Skeletor was supposed to be masquerading as this like corporate raider – evil businessman guy and it was supposed to you know he man was gonna you know show up again and save the day and the set pieces and costumes they had designed some and because the toy line ended and they lost the licensing or or whatever the circumstances were with canon films not having the budget they actually used some of the set pieces and costumes in the jean-claude van damme vehicle cyborg whoa you've ever seen cyborg with van damme a lot of the costumes and a lot of the uh you know desolate you know wasteland set pieces was actually supposed to be for the sequel to masters of the universe that is crazy that is some solid valuable trivia right there you were the no, man so for that I, I well you know i'm more of the man for that than uh, canon films were for producing that movie because yeah, uh, you bro. know they kind of ruined. Uh, they ru- you know they ruined two franchises in 1987 because let's not forget Superman four, the quest for peace. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and th- those were two massively disappointing movies. Uh, all right, well I've I've got to say it's a perfect segue because the live action Masters of the Universe movie was going to be my bad pick, uh, and I say that now. I find that movie thoroughly entertaining. Uh, I had the DVD. I now own the Blu-ray. And actually, I'll go ahead and drop this right now. July's Needless Commentary is the Masters of the Universe live-action movie. Nice. But at the time, it was one of the earliest examples of massive disappointment of my young life. (laughs) Uh, It just... Because it just doesn't... It barely resembles anything that we knew as Masters of the Universe. And the fact that they went to Earth was just awful. Uh, I mean, you know, we, we could go on and on, but we'll save that for the needless commentary in July. Uh, but that, that was going to be my bad pick. But since 
you chose it as your final good pick, which I totally understand because now I love that movie. Uh, Sean, Beth, do you have uh, memories to share of the Masters of the Universe movie? That was going to be my bad pick. Um, well, you best I, find something else, buddy boy. I, I have a feeling that your next bad pick is also my next bad oh, pick. Oh, no. So. Mother, motherfucker, you got no clue what my next bad pick is. <laughs> Nobody well, on them. this planet could guess my next bad pick. <laughs> I kind of feel the same way about my bad pick, so if we wind up duplicating each other, I'm going to laugh my ass off. That would be amazing. That is going to be fucking hilarious. Um, uh, Yeah, I hated that movie. I I watched it, and I was like, what the – what is this? Uh, I didn't like the toys. I don't like the toys now. I hate hate that To this day, I hate Gwilder. The stupid fucking Cosmic Key. I like uh, the cosmic key. I think that thing's awesome. I would buy. They made a proper up, uh, prop replica of that, uh, but it, it was pretty pricey. I, I I dig that. I think that thing's cool. I just hate Gwildor. Yeah, well, yeah. I just hated everything about it. Um, the costumes were dumb. No, uh, I don't agree with that at all. I love. All right. Well, we got we got to save this. We got to save. Well, this. we'll save this because we have an English commentary right, coming right, up, right, and then right. we can argue all about. Beth, uh, did, but yeah, have you, I, Beth, yeah. have you even seen this movie? I actually have seen this movie. I didn't see it when it came out, but I know I've seen it because I know that Meg Foster terrifies me. Sure. And I know that it's probably from either this or they live. It's one of the two. But she Well, and don't really don't forget fright- Leviathan where she's the evil corporate wench. But she frightened me before that. Sure. Leviathan was way after both Oh those yeah, you're movies, right. So- Leviathan was like 89. You're right. Yeah. It, so it was one of those two that first terrified me. And other than that, I really don't remember anything about it. Because her creepy ice blue eyes have always bothered me. Sure. Other than that, I remember nothing about it. Then it is time to move on to the final portion of this episode. We have discussed lots of awesome stuff. Uh, lots of rad stuff, if you will. From 1987, it is now time to discuss the things that were maybe not so rad. All right, so my bad pick was originally uh, uh, Masters of the Universe live-action movie. Even though I love it now, it disappointed me as a child. But instead, my bad pick is the George Harrison hit single, Got My Mind Set on You. Oh, I would have never guessed that, but you're not wrong. (laughs) Okay, well, oh, there's more to it than that just being an absolute turd of a song. Uh, In 1987, uh, my school had a lip sync competition to cap off the year. And I chose to perform Got My Mind Set On You by George Harrison. Because if you remember, the video for that song was actually really cool. Because it's George Harrison in this room, and it's it's a lot like uh, Evil Dead. Because there's like a deer head on the wall singing, and there's like all these weird props and puppets and things. Like all of the parts of the room are singing the song along with him. So to me, like, the fact that the song was shit really didn't strike me. I thought the video was so cool. But here's the problem. In front 
of an entire class of middle school children wearing a denim jacket and some sunglasses. This is going to end so badly. I did not have singing deer heads or singing rabbits or whatever else was in that video. I was standing there (laughs) lip-syncing along to this song that barely even has any lyrics to the point where Weird Al's parody of it is about the fact that it this song is just six words long because it basically <laughs> is. So I go out there, I get through the first verse of six words, and then I have my prop guy bring me out a microphone, or a microphone, a saxophone, because if you remember, there's a sweet-ass saxophone solo in the middle of this song. And I pretend to play the saxophone in my denim jacket and my sunglasses. My prop guy takes the saxophone away at the end of the saxophone solo, and I finish this terrible shit song that is com- that, that's popularity is entirely based on the music video being cool. And I got no applause. I, <laughs> I did not place in the competition whatsoever. And I went and I sat down and I got nothing. Uh, so Aww. that song just fills me with rage. The sad, sad rage of 30 years ago. And, uh, you know, obviously there was, there was no kissing after that lip sync performance. No, no. So that is my, that is my bad pick for 1987. Uh, you, obviously you guys all remember that horrible song. Are there any fans of that song here? Do you remember the uh, video no. even? Oh yeah, with all that stuff in the room going crazy. Right, right. The video was cool, but you just need to be muted. Apparently. <laughs> all right, so uh, let's move on from my shameful humiliation in the sixth grade. I guess it was sixth grade. Uh, Beth, what is your awful pick from nineteen? Mine will. Mine will probably also not resonate with anyone um, because I was a gamer even in 1987. Oh, boy. And you guys didn't bust me on this last year, so you're not busting me on it this year because the first Legend of Zelda game came out in Japan in 1986, but it didn't get released in America till 1987. Same thing with the second Legend of Zelda game came out in 87, but I didn't get it until 88. You you can't talk about it then. No. You didn't bust me on it last year? All right, fine. Go ahead. I, I got away with it last year, and it's such an abysmal game that it really? almost what? put me off. The second Legend of Zelda game, it's the worst thing I've ever played. Wow, really? It's so bad. Oh, I got I... an emulator back when back when emulators were cool, and they, they first came out with you know Nintendo emulators, and right, you could download right. them. I, I played it through 20 minutes, and I said, oh, yeah, I remember why I hate this game. Because the, the, the RPG element was so half-assed. It didn't really add anything to the game. Experience points led to nothing. A magic meter that ran out instantly. Everything about that game was bad. The, the top-down to the side-scrolling back and forth, it was trying too hard to be an RPG, and that's not what Legend of Zelda is. Beth, uh, I'm going to tell you this, that 
you are you are going to win the cool competition this episode. And you're probably going to yell at me. I thought the first Legend of Zelda was so lame and boring when I was a kid. And I really dug the second one. I was like, Adventure of Link, finally a game I can enjoy. (laughs) But you were also into that Final Fantasy thing where you would just wander around the world. Oh, no, no, no. I wasn't even into Final Fantasy. I was was into, like, Castlevania and Mario and that kind of stuff. And Adventures of Link was much more... Uh, much more akin to those kind of games uh, than, than the top-down RPG stuff. Well, it, had- just it, looking back at it now, it reminds me so much of Final Fantasy because you're just walking through a world and you're in an environment and all of a sudden you run into something. No, it wasn't and, Adventures, oh, it of, Adventures, of, battle. Adventures of Link was like a side-scroller, wasn't it? It went back and forth. Oh, did it? See, I don't even remember it going back and forth. I just remember being so happy that I could actually see a little dude from the side and could make him jump. No, so you'd be walking around the world and just trying to find your way to the next thing that you're supposed to do, the next town, whatever task you're supposed to be doing. And then all of a sudden you'd run into something and then it would become a side scroller where you'd have to beat this stupid, stupid enemy and then you were allowed to move on. To the next stupid, stupid enemy. <laughs> uh, Sh- Sean, did you, did you, well, you're not a video game guy. Were you playing them back then, though? No. Uh, oh, nope. wow. Chris, what about you? Uh, Zelda 2? Uh, Zelda, I was never really into the Zelda series. Um, I was just kind of like, hey, you know, I had the first couple of games. And it was just kind of like more of a, uh, Hey, I'm getting into video games. I'm at that age now. Let me try these games out. But they never stuck with me. I was never a huge RPG guy. Um, so I guess basically my Zelda experience is, you know, I was a Nintendo kid. I was a video game kid. I gave them a shot, but I didn't really appreciate them at the time. I was more into Kung Fu, Castlevania, Mario, you know, all your regular typical run right, and jump, right. run and gun type stuff, as opposed to, uh, the, the thinking man's game, I guess you could say at the time, um, you know, didn't appreciate those till I get older. Definitely not back in '87. Yeah, that was I was, I was in the same boat there. Okay, so with Zelda that, was a run and jump <laughs> until that game. <laughs> well, Contra was 1987. Yeah, that's yes. yeah. That, that, that actually the... that that was very close to being one of my top picks. That that is a game I've actually played. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, Everybody so, go, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris, what is your if if Masters of the Universe was your your number three awesome pick? What is your not awesome pick? So you know, I I didn't intend to go so movie heavy tonight, but it was just really hard to to narrow a lot of things down. There were a lot of TV shows, there were video games. Um, but when it came to deciding on the dud, it was like, you know, I don't want to I don't want to give Masters of the Universe too little credit you sure. know, I'll, because of my love for them. Uh, but there is a movie that I will give no credit at all, except for the fact that it is to this day one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. And this is coming from the guy who an hour ago told you how much he loved the garbage. <laughs> kids. 
There is a movie uh, produced uh, and distributed by Troma Entertainment. And Troma, for those of you who don't know, do not focus on award winners. They tend to focus on, uh, you know, trashy, sleaze cinema and cult favorites. Uh, most people are only familiar with The Toxic Avenger, which is a, a great movie series, or at least the first one really was pretty good. They released a movie called Redneck Zombies. Oh, in no. Oh. Which is by far one of the absolute worst things I've ever seen in my life. Um, growing up, you know, uh, trauma was a little bit too intense even for a little kid. So a lot of my trauma exposure was on USA Up All Night. Uh, so I would see movies like The Toxic Avenger, Class of Newcomb High. You know, I'd stay up on the weekends and see them, you know, on commercial television. So a lot of the gore was omitted and, you know, all, all the racy stuff. But Redneck Zombies, uh, I had vague recollections of it as a little kid. And it was one of those movies that I was like, oh, this looks like public access. Why am I watching this? And I'd, you know, flip to something else. And renting it as I got a little older, it was just cringeworthy, no entertainment value. It wasn't even one of those, like, so bad it's good mystery science theater things where you can call your buddies up and have them come over. It is just a complete... Uh, it's not even a waste of film because it was shot on video. So it was a waste of battery for whoever filmed this thing. Um, just not one of Troma's best moments, um, which, you know, as the years went on, that kind of became the, the name of the game for them. They weren't trying as hard. And by far, you know, out of everything that I've seen, you know, you talk about we can't like everything, but I've certainly tried to see quite a bit of cinema ranging from Garbage Pail Kids to Godfather and Redneck Zombies falls right in line with the ones that belong in the trash barrel. Uh, I am 100% in agreement with you on this one. Uh, at some point... I, it was certainly after 1987, but at some point in my horror movie, or early horror movie days, somehow Redneck Zombies got some kind of reputation. And once I saw it, I, I, I don't know that I've even seen the whole thing. I, I just thought it was garbage. I, I, it was, I, I didn't understand, even from a campy, like, oh, low budget's cool point of view. I just thought it was amateur hour trash. I, I, I have no affection for it. I think it's awful. Uh, and, and like I said, I don't think I've seen the whole movie. I, and, and I don't care to. Uh, Beth, I feel certain you've seen Redneck Zombies, or at least some of it. Oh, I've seen the whole thing. It certainly was not, in, it was not in 1987. And you get a few drinks in me, and I will watch just about anything. Sure. But it definitely was in 1987. I can't remember when I would have seen it, but it is certainly one of the worst pieces of crap I've ever seen. And I enjoyed Toxic Avenger 1. I liked Tromeo and Juliet. I, I have seen some, some of the worst shit that Troma has had to offer, and Redneck Zombies is unwatchable. Look, speaking as somebody, and I watched the whole thing. <laughs> speaking as somebody that thoroughly enjoys things, Redneck Zombies has nothing to offer. Uh, Sean, what about you? Sean's fallen asleep. Sean, have you fallen asleep? 
Oh my gosh, this is a shit. First. I was muted. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I was here talking shit about redneck zombies, and I've never seen it. I, I was. Uh, I was going to say we've we've had beard noise. We've actually had vomiting on the show, but we've never had anybody fall asleep before. But you were just muted. <laughs> Fair enough. See, the movie's so bad that even talking about it put him to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Sean, um, you've not seen it. No, I've not seen it. Okay, well, you're you're a better man for it. Uh, all right. Well, that brings us to Sean. You are going to be the final bad pick uh, of the <laughs> night, and that's probably not the first time you've heard that. <laughs> yeah, I've had a long, illustrious dating career. Um, <laughs> uh, so my bad pick, I had to punt because I was going to go with um, Master of the Universe being my bad pick. Uh, so instead, I have the a little more esoteric Ten years ago, we got this thing called Rick Rolling. Sure. That took over the internet. The song that is used in Rick Rolling was brought into life in 1987. Was it really? I didn't realize that. Yes. Yes. Rick Astley's oh. never going to give you up. Never going to let I, you I down. I can't. I can't agree with that being a bad thing. <laughs> I, the song itself, not bad. Rick Rolling got old really quick. Um, so we, we knew not what Rick Astley hath wrought in 1987. So, um, yeah, if I had to go back in time, I would remove that song so that we don't get Rick rolling. Although knowing the internet, we probably would have had something else and a perfectly other good song would have been ruined. But, uh, yeah, that's my punting for bad things that happened in 1987. I understand where you're coming from. Uh, and I can't even really disagree with you, but that song on its own is pretty awesome. But you're yeah, right. The song, what yeah, it, on its own merits is fantastic. But, but what, it, what became, it spawned 20 years later was was a nuisance, for sure. Exactly. How do you guys feel about Rick Astley? Beth, Chris? I I liked the song at the time. I I actually did not have a problem with getting Rick rolled. I thought it was funny. I'll go into a, a retail store now, and that song will come on the radio. And go, oh my god, the store is rickrolling me. <laughs> <laughs> it's still, it's still funny to me. I, I didn't get rickrolled enough. I guess you guys must have got rickrolled more than me. I work on the internet. <laughs> what about you, Chris? <laughs> Did, does this song make you want to dance like it does me? You know what? I I did not mind that song uh, as much of a uh, you know old school hip hop head as I was. Uh, it was oftentimes tough to be able to change the radio dial when you're in the car with mom or dad. You know, with dad listening to the oldies and mom focusing on the uh, local top forty channel. So Rick Astley was a a very big constant in my life in 1987. So I don't mind him. You know, it, it's something that kind of grows on you if you take it for what it is. You know, he's. He's not going to be, uh, you know, breaking down any walls, breaking down any barriers. But, it, you know, it's a fun dance song. It was a fun party song, weddings. And, you know, if that's the type of atmosphere that he was going for, then God bless him. He, he did right by it. And he also spawned a uh, a funny little family guy clip in the episode where they keep going back to uh, Peter and Lois's first date. And Brian decides to sing Rick Astley in the takeoff of the Back to the Future uh, performance. Oh, oh right. Yeah, that, that might have been a first season bit because I've actually seen that bit. No, it was it was later. It was was it, was um, it later? Yeah, it was like season six or seven. Oh, wow. It was it was like it was it was after the revival. It was uh, after Fox. Maybe I just saw brought it internet, back. Maybe I just saw an internet clip of it. But uh, yeah, I, I've got to say, Rick Astley, uh, 
scores pretty solid on my scale, but I still do understand your sentiments, Red Ranger. All right, you guys, we have talked about 1987, the things we love, the things we didn't love so much, and the things that maybe we don't entirely agree on. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, and now it is time for everybody to plug the stuff that you got to plug. Uh, first of all, Beth, neat, I, I'm so excited. I had my first Twitter interaction with Needless Beth the other day. It was great. <laughs> Do you understand? And I will check out that show. <laughs> Do you understand now the, the magic of Twitter? No, but I know it I know it exists. There you go. Well that's all you need. So look for Needless Beth on Twitter. Uh and, and look at look at me on needlessthingsite.com much more often every than other, on Twitter. Every other Tuesday. Uh coming up this Tuesday. I don't know what I'm writing about yet. It's a surprise. But it'll be good. <laughs> uh Red Ranger, when does your podcast not go up? Uh, every two never. Um, <laughs> every other nothing. Every, yeah, uh, doesn't. Um, look, I just found my headset to record for this one out of the box. I still can't find my recorder. So I, I have podcasts I can't even access because I don't know where they are. Um, so, yeah, it'll eventually come out again. Uh, in the meantime, just find me on Instagram uh, as the Red Ranger. Search in Facebook for uh, the Red Rangers Radical Radcast Ryan. Oh, which honorable mention, Ryan, co-host of Red Rangers Radical Radcast with Ryan and Needless Commentary um, member, was born in 1987. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, geez. Right, well, well, you know what? We should all choose that as a default favorite pick for 1987. There even, we go. Even though it makes <laughs> us feel very, very old. Uh, I almost picked it as my bad thing just to be a smart ass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris, I think that would have been great if you had. Chris, where can we find you online and what are you up to? Uh, sure. I just have to say that every other nothing, for some reason, it sounds like a great album name. So if anyone goes into the music <laughs> genre, you should use that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's my shitty grunge cover band. <laughs> You can uh, you can find me on Twitter at Zach Malibu Z A C K M A L I B U uh, figurestoycompany.com for all your retro figure and wrestling needs figures from DC Comics we've got a cast of characters from the world of Hanna Barbera out now new Kiss figures coming soon a Stan Lee figure uh, celebrating one of the most influential men in comics history coming out as well as the new Ring of Honor wrestling figures that are out now and your favorite indie stars and legends in our other wrestling lines. Figurestoycompany.com, WrestlingSuperstore.com. On Twitter, they are at FiguresToyCo, at W-R-E-S underscore Superstore. Instagram and Facebook go by the company names. And if you want to read about me trashing and praising B-action movies from the 80s and 90s, head over to BulletproofAction.com. The name of the column is No Surrender Cinema, which is a, a nod to a movie we talked about last year, No Retreat, No Surrender. And uh, I will be going in-depth with movies that you've probably never seen, but maybe I'll make you want to see them. And and just real quick, I've got to put over the fact that you guys uh, put out a Jim Cornette figure, and I think that's fantastic. Oh, that's one of our one of our most popular ones by far. It's his first figure in twenty years, right? It's crazy. Like not since the early early days of Jacks, right? Yeah, it was uh, that Ringside series where they had the Jim Ross with the misprint on the shirt. Yes, yes, that's right. Awesome. Yep. 
You guys, thank you so much for coming on and talking about 1987. This is seriously one of my favorite episodes to do. And uh, I can't wait till next year where we talk about 1988. Crazy. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. You guys, seriously, I mentioned it in the intro, and uh, I think we mentioned it a couple of times in the show, just how many good, good movies came out in 1987. It's crazy, and I want, I'm already, after doing this episode, I'm already excited about next year's episode for 1988, Uh, but I won't look ahead, because I'm weird like that. But I want to look at 1988's movies and see if it, it even comes close to comparing to 1987. And now my question is, well, where, what do we, do we do in 1997 this year? Because that was 20 years ago. There's, that's nostalgia too. It's not the same kind of sweet, innocent nostalgia as, as 1987 was, as, as 11 year old, uh, Phantom had. Or, or I suppose would have 30 years later. But, I mean, 97 was a pretty sweet year, you guys. And who knows if I'll be doing this podcast 10 years from now or not. Oh, gosh. Hopefully 10 years from now I'll have, like, a talk show or something. Or, or you know, possibly more likely the Earth will be a burned-out cinder uh, floating in space occupied by microbial bacteria that eventually will grow and the planet will flourish again and maybe the next time around whatever sentient life form happens uh, won't fuck things up as badly as we did and end up with uh, a horrible orange goblin in charge of the civilized world Uh, or leader of the free world that's what he's called that's horrible I don't get political I'm sorry I'm sorry and believe me saying that does not expose my leanings in the least alright you guys let's end on a message of love I love you guys thank you for listening to the Needless Things podcast you're the best you can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast or in the ears of a Trader Vic's employee and of course it's at needlessthingssite.com love you, mean it uh huh